because I miss the old fact fiend. <laughs> Don't you? Do you miss the old fact fiend? What, when I wasn't in it? Yeah. How, how do you read that when you see people make those comments? Uh, yeah, I do have a bit of that nervousness about myself a lot of the time when it's I see people talk about, oh, well, I, I miss this in the channel. And it's like back from when I wasn't on there. And I'm like, is, you know, my voice lessening the channel in any way? Yeah, uh, it's not. And anyone says otherwise can go fuck themselves and are invited to not watch my content anymore. But I, I remember when we first brought Nisha on. And Nisha, bless her, you know Nisha. She's like, I describe, she's like Bambi. <laughs> like she's, she's so waif-like and adorable and tiny. And she was really nervous about coming on the channel. And the literal first thing that she got in regards to any sort of feedback mm. was telling her to fuck off because she's not Brad. Oh, and I think and, Nisha brunted a lot of the pain that I now don't really get because, because she was yeah. the first person that wasn't Brad on the channel. She paved the way for new things. And I she got did. so many people asking me, of, oh, change it back. It's like, no, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I like it when it was just you and Brad. It sounded like a conversation between friends. Well, Nisha's my friend. Yeah, Lucas is my friend. That. Adam's my friend. And do you know what the best bit is? If Nisha would have been the first voice on the channel and then I brought Brad in, it would have been the exact same reaction. Oh, yeah, of course. People just don't like change. So I was curious. I don't think I've ever asked you. How do you feel when you see people say, oh, man, I miss when Lucas wasn't the channel, when Lucas wasn't on it? It's like, that's so fucking insulting. Yeah, um, people tend not to because, as, as we pointed out, you get it a lot more when it's like the second person gets added. So. Yeah. In this case, Nietzsche. Uh, when you've already introduced a new person, it kind of lessens it for me. But it is extremely disheartening for people to go, "Why well, I miss when, like, you know, I miss Fat Fiend from two years ago. Like, when you yeah, weren't on that's, it. That's when I wasn't part of the channel. Great. It's more insulting for me when I read it. Like, oh, I miss when it was just you and Brad in the kitchen of your house. It's like, I don't. Because when we did that, um, the channel was a massive money sink. I had to work 70 hours a week. Because I was doing that, writing and working in a pub at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I was stressed as fuck. I was in an awful, awful shape, both mentally and physically, just because the sheer amount of work I did, because I didn't have any time for myself. So I put into myself to look after myself in that sort of way. And yeah, and I will say <laughs> I, that, you know, in the past few years, since the, the channel's become successful and, you know, you've got your own office, etc., etc., I can see that you've become a lot healthier because of it. And yeah. why do people want to take that away from you? It's like the other one of, oh, I miss when they did drinking videos all the time. It's like, wait, mate, like you miss when I was like making myself really unhealthy. We still do drinking videos. We do. Yeah, but it's that thing of, like, oh man, I miss when you would like nearly kill yourself drinking in your content because oh it made God. me laugh. And then they never seem to think, well, maybe he doesn't do it as much anymore because he's trying to look after himself. <laughs> <laughs> and it's such a, a weird thing, like... To, Someone put something like, oh yeah, I miss when you were actively making yourself feel worse as a person for my entertainment. Yeah. I miss when you made no money and lived in a shit house. And just apparently like, I also miss when you get fucking wasted drunk. Yeah, which I still do, but I'm just like, you know, I'm a bit healthier, a bit older. I'm not nearly 30 years old, I can't, I can't hack it. My body's just not designed to deal with that sort of thing. You can't subject yourself to that kind of punishment day in, day out without um, uh, having any sort of negative impact on you. But anyway, welcome to episode 30. Help. 
line. 37. 37. Uh, as per usual, I'm joined by my friend Lucas. Say hello, Lucas. Ciao. Ciao. And we are just currently in the midst of, God, fucking hell, being on the internet is a bit of a, it's a, bit of a struggle, isn't it? I mean, I'm not going to lie, Carl. It is a struggle in its own ways, but this is probably the easiest I've ever had it in my life. Oh, yeah, but like being a known entity on the internet, it's just, there are minor things that are incredibly frustrating, like people repeatedly saying, oh, my I miss when Fact Fiend like, was like the old days, when it felt more real. But in those days, we didn't make any fucking money. And it's exactly the same. It's just now we have a more professional setup, which is necessary for like the continued function of the channel. The weird thing is, is I always see it as like, right, okay, you started out saying professionally unprofessional. Literally. Professionally unprofessional, sorry. And that is still what the channel is, but there's a bit more professional to the unprofessional. It's the key guiding ethos of the entire channel. It's um, It smacks of the thing you'd see with, oh man, this band, I used to like them. But like now it just sounds too clean. Like Joe, you know, like their first oh, like, EP, yeah. their first EP or whatever. So oh, I miss that like that organic grungy quality to the recording. Like that that was there because they didn't have any recording equipment because they were <laughs> poor as fuck and they didn't have the resources. And I just imagine how insulted you'd be as the band. It's like people telling you, "I don't like your music anymore." Now that you can actually do it for a living. Yeah. Now you're successful enough where you can do what you love for a living and like you can make it your own. I hate it now. I preferred it when you struggled. <laughs> and then fans will wonder why they like artists and creators don't like that. <laughs> oh, I liked it when your life was terrible or worse than it is now. Wait, what? No. Why would you want us to go back to that? Don't worry, Carl. We've still got, you know, young aspiring artists recording stuff in their bedroom on their own, just like Billie Eilish did. Yeah. It's, it's all right. It's not like she had um, a brother who's a world-famous singer-songwriter or anything like that, or her family's rich as fuck and has direct connections to the upper echelons of the music and recording industry. Carl, Carl all on her own. All on yeah, her all own. all on her own. In a bedroom. That, is, that one, is that the most insulting like story tell, like the rags to riches? Yeah. And I'm saying this in like, massive air quotes. The rags to riches story where it's all complete horseshit. Cause the, the thing one is, I, oh, sorry. I, I appreciate there is a, a well, like, known fact she did record it in her bedroom, but the lack of context that they put that story in. Yeah, that bedroom is in a massive fucking house, and the person who owns that house uh, has direct ties to the record industry, and Billy Irish's brother was already a famous songwriter. Isn't he like a producer as well? Something like that, yeah. He's, yeah. Like, he's massive in the music industry. And The one that's the most infuriating for me is the Bill Gates one. Where it's, oh man, Bill Gates um, just started as a young lad just tinkering on computers and now he runs Microsoft and is a multi-billionaire. Hmm. Uh, part of like, his upbringing people failed to take into account is like, his parents were very, very wealthy. And the reason he even had access to a computer in a time when the, the comparison I've heard is having access to a computer was akin to having access to a helicopter is because his family was so wealthy and they sent into like, the best schools in the world that had a dedicated computer lab, something like four schools in America had. Yeah. And then you have the other one, oh, we dropped out of Harvard. And the reason he dropped out of Harvard is because they didn't have the computing suites they wanted. So he dropped out of Harvard because they didn't have the equipment that he needed. So he was he was beyond Harvard. And that's the kind of decision you can only make when you know you've got rich parents who can easily get you back into school. That's the thing. If you are at the point where your like facilities are going to be better than Harvard, what the fuck? Yeah. 
Well, obviously, it's, like, it's a very niche um, field at the time, but still, regardless, when he's like, no, 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 Harvard doesn't have enough technology for me. It's like, fucking hell, Bill Gates. But the way you see it worded, it's, oh, man, yeah, he dragged himself up from nothing. It's like, he quit college to like, pursue his dreams. Like, he quit college because they didn't, they literally did not have the facilities that his house had. His own house had better computing facilities than one of the leading universities on the planet. And in the music industry, it's like you've seen it all the time. Like another one is uh, Katy Perry. Mm. Like Katy Perry is touts off. She came up from nowhere. It's like she didn't. She was actually a, a somewhat famous in at least very specific circles. Um, Christian rock singer. Yeah. And she's got there's a lot. You can look up old Katy Perry albums where she's Christian rock singer. And then one day, a record executive realised she's got massive tits. <laughs> and just went, what, do you want to sing pop music instead? So she sings pop music instead. And the other one is Lady yeah. Gaga, where she was, uh, by all accounts, a fairly talented um, uh, singer-songwriter who wrote like yeah, piano yeah. ballads and stuff like that. And the story she likes to tell, and the story her fans like to tell is, oh, um, she was in New York and she got um, really just taken away. Uh, she got really like, taken aback by like, the, uh, the thriving gay scene there and the... The what's the word now? The, the drag scene and that sort of thing, and that in oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah. excessively flamboyant style of dress. Mm-hmm. Um, the way it actually worked is she went in for a meeting with a record executive who just like went, "Now you're weird." Because oh. prior prior to this meet, there's this one meeting she had, and it's the one just before I think it's um, her first album mm-hmm. launched. And prior to that meeting, as a quote from one of her friends, of the most daring thing she ever wore was dungarees. <laughs> for some re- inexplicable reason after that meeting she suddenly started dressing in um, excessively flamboyant clothing yeah and she's always said no I'm just I'm releasing I'm revealing the real me it's like, how come the real you didn't dress like that in college yeah how come you only started dressing like that after this meeting with the record executive that's the thing is I get when people you know either grow up or gain a bit more confidence and decide yeah I'm gonna let the inner self out a bit more and be but a that's bit not what happened with her, more no. eccentric. But when it happens in direct correlation with a, an executive meeting... Yeah, with a, a super cynical um, record expert. Like an expert on the industry who tells you to do this thing. Mm-hmm. It's almost like um, you start dressing like that way because of that. And there's so many stories like that in the music industry. And like the Beatles, where the Beatles were a hard rock band who played in like sleazy nightclubs. Right up until they had a meeting again with a record executive who told them, uh, look, you're talented, but you're never going to make it playing the music that you do. And what he did is he um, gave them all the exact same haircut and put them in suits. Yeah. And said, you play a different kind of music now. You don't play rock and roll anymore. You play pop or what, you know, the precursor to pop rock was back Yeah, then. and weirdly yeah. enough, they also managed to make some really, really ingenious music at the time they did yes and like no one's understating how talented the Beatles were but their success can be directly attributed to one guy saying look you're good but you're never going to have any success dressed like this Mm -hmm. and put the literally put them in the exact same outfit with the same haircut and made Um, them into a proto boy band then they managed to you know find a replacement for Paul McCartney after he died apparently yeah I love that best. Pete Best he's the the original drummer um, got fired and replaced by Ringo Starr. And mm. what Pete Best did is he was so pissed off, he released an album of self-composed music called Best of the Beatles. <laughs> so Pete Best of the Beatles, but people thought it was a Beatles compilation album. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's like, fucking, you go Pete Best. And then the other one, the most famous one, this is the one that pisses the most people off, is um, Nirvana. And I'm going to double check this. I think it's the album Bleach. It was their like, first um, album, which it sounds awful. That's what grunge is supposed to be. 
Yeah. And it sounds fucking awful. It sounds like you're feeding the music through um, uh, an, like an edge trimmer or something like that. <laughs> and what happened was uh, the Nevermind, the album um, that has like, it smells like Teen Spirit on it. Yeah. A guy in the record industry like, passed it off to a very well-known producer who mixed it like a pop album. Oh, okay. So instead of mixing it like a grunge album, he mixed it like a pop album. Yeah. And he made it so every song had, you know, an introduction, a verse, a chorus, a second verse. Basically just turned it into a, like three minute long pop songs. Mm-hmm. The album was full of those with a grunge twist. And Kurt Cobain fucking hated that album. Like he didn't want it to see the light of day. And he actively campaigned to call the album Sheep instead of Nevermind. In reference oh, wow. to like, you have to be a sheep to listen to this album. You'd be a moron to think this is what grunge is. And that's the album that launched them into like stratospheric success. Yep. And um, that's the kind of music they played after that. It's like, yeah, even Nirvana sold the fuck out and they realized how much money it'd make them. And obviously that like all of that stuff and a lot of other things had a clear mental effect on Kurt Cobain. As yeah. is well known. And Would you ever one see thing the- I do okay. love on a more positive note though is like when it's talking about um Dave Grohl getting into the band. And basically, it was, oh, well, you know, we were auditioning drummers, and Dave Grohl sits down on a drum kit and plays, like, the opening to Smells Like Teen Spirits on the drums, and they were just like, yeah, that guy. Done. Done. Did you ever uh, hear the thing about Kurt Cobain? Um, because he was being a weird contrarian prick, probably like, ended up exacerbating the injury that caused him to kill himself. Because Kurt Cobain had this horrible condition where it's like curvature of the spine, And it curved, I think, uh, to the left or to the right. I don't know exactly which way it went. But it was a problem exacerbated by playing guitar. Because you think a guitar is like a heavy weight on one side of your body. Yeah. Which constantly, constantly dragged his already curved spine in the wrong direction, causing him unthinkable pain, pain which he self-medicated with heroin. Right. And the way I've heard it put is because Kurt Cobain was a rock star, not a doctor. And he's like, you know, his abuse of that drug, coupled with the immense pain that he felt. So it's like probably no doubt, contributed to his eventual um, suicide. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, though, Kurt Cobain was actually left-handed in real life, and he learned to play a right-handed guitar because a left-handed guitar was too expensive. Oh, wow. So he taught himself to play guitar the wrong way. And there are theories out there that if he'd have actually just got a left-handed guitar and had not been a stubborn asshole who learned to play it the wrong way, upside down, um, the weight of his guitar on the other side of his body may have actually corrected his medical condition. Fucking hell. So he might have actually just not had the crippling pain that caused him to take so much heroin. And again, that's a weird thing of, oh, well, you can say that, oh, well, when he got some money, why didn't he buy it? Because he'd already learned how to play guitar. But yeah, if he's in that scenario where all I can afford is a right-handed guitar, I mm-hmm. guess, fuck it, I'm going to learn how to use it that way. And he stubbornly taught himself to play it that way. And he refused to like, change it back to the other thing. If he changed it back to the other way, um, it may have corrected the condition, or at the very least alleviate, not exacerbated it as badly as um, playing the guitar evidently did. That is very sad, but like at the same time, imagine trying to unlearn what you've taught yourself of how to yeah. play the guitar. And while also saying, being like, a famous rock star and having to perform and yeah. On stage, yeah. Do you ever see that though? Um, one of the best musical performances by Nirvana it was in there on top of the pops. And Kurt Cobain's like, oh, can we sing our song? I'm like, no, 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 we play it. We already we play the song, and then you play over it. <laughs> and Kurt Cobain's like, but I want to play my song because I'm a musician. It, it yeah. feels like it feels insulting to the audience. It feels cheating. 
to not play the song. Look, take it or leave it. You've been invited on the show. You have to just play over the song. So what they did is they deliberately played out a tune and played out <laughs> sync. And you can just see like Dave Grohl on the drums just like swinging his drum kit around. And Kurt Cobain's like <laughs> swinging his guitar and playing like all up and down the net and playing guitar solos on it. Oh, man. And I think another one was like the Stone Roses, it might have been, where they refused to play their instruments. So you got the song playing in the background as they're just sat completely silently. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's so good. So let Kurt Cobain play guitar. Imagine that, like telling Kurt Cobain not to play guitar. How infuriating would that be as, like, as a musician? Yeah. yeah, to go up one... and just be like, yeah, well, we need you to just... Pretend like you're a musician. It's like, I am one. Yeah, it's like um, you're a big fan of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, aren't you? I am. Yeah. Do you ever see the one where his Red Hot Chili Peppers played at the halftime show in America, like for the Super Bowl one year? Oh yeah, yeah, I watched it. And with the Super Bowl, you have to, oh you you do now. You have to play. Uh, you don't play your instruments, but you record it beforehand and then just mime on stage. Yeah. And there was a great thing of like, oh here's Flea and the bass player doing the Flea thing, who went absolutely fucking mental. Yeah. on his bass and then screenshots him like his bass isn't even plugged in oh wow like, it's, li- it's literally not plugged in and what Flea said is we found out as a band beforehand look like you, we're going to play the song we're mm-hmm. just going to play it and the band insisted that no we will record a new version of the song on stage before the event oh okay and what they did is they went onto the stage and they sat in the same arena that they played on like the next day and just mm. played their fucking hearts out. Yeah. And did the best show they could to a completely empty audience. And then the next day did the same thing again. So I like it in that regard where, yeah, we're not playing it live on stage. But the thing we're rocking out to, the thing we're miming along to, um, we threw our heart and our soul into that performance. And they actually made, but yeah, a new recording that would sound like it's being recorded in a stadium and everything. Yeah, they went to the effort of doing that rather than just like play just like a live version from an album or something. Yeah. Which I appreciate them doing. Yeah, that's totally like a good move, but I do feel sorry for anyone that's in a position where it's like, oh, well, look at these dickheads. This bass isn't even plugged in. It's like, that's not their choice. It's not. And I think Flea even said, look, if it was up to us, we would have played live. Yeah. But with on a stage that massive, you can't afford anything going wrong. I, I guess so, but, you know... These are also people and teams of people that put on shows around the world all of the time. Yeah. You will never again get that Prince one. The Prince one was their best one. Mm. And um, when he performed, it started raining early in the morning. And like they got to a guy, an executive in the the NFL, and look, someone's going to have to call Prince. So I don't want to call Prince. No one wants wants to call Prince (laughs) and tell him that something's gone wrong. Yeah. That's like, that's not going to end well. And eventually, after like, I think they played rock, paper, scissors, like, who's got a call Prince? Oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> and a guy calls up Prince, like, excuse me, Mr. Prince. Because, fun fact, Prince's name actually was Prince. He didn't oh, change right. it. He was actually born Prince Nelson Rogers, I think it was. I just assumed it was a stage name. No, it's just Prince. He went by, he just went by Prince, what is his actual first name. So they called him up, yeah, Mr. Prince. Um, it's raining. And Prince, like, there was a pause, and then the thunder, this really quiet voice, and like, can you make it rain harder? <laughs> because he wanted it to rain harder and yeah. he went on stage and he played his show in pouring rain um, in platform boots on a slick plastic surface and didn't <laughs> once miss a step yeah. and his dan- backup dancers were like two six and a half foot tall um, like dancers 
both wearing six-inch platform heels as well, and they were doing like the splits and stuff on this slick <laughs> stage without making a mistake. Heroes. And everyone's like, I've never seen a performance. He is the most consummate performer I have ever seen. Like, it was immaculate. Yeah. And you can just see him, like, ripping a guitar solo in the rain. While Purple Rain was playing. So that's why Prince was so happy about it. Because he's, like, his, his big song at the end was Purple Rain. Of course. And of course. he had it so that, like, giant purple spotlight shone into the audience. <laughs> which were now being covered in rain. So Purple Rain was falling. Yeah. And Prince's like, this is so hype. I've never had that. This is the perfect opportunity to do this. <laughs> and it's probably, like, it's one of the best concerts ever put on. It was, like, seven minutes long. Just because you got to hear Purple Rain as it was raining. Yeah, and they managed and it was, to get it to be Purple Rain. It's like, fucking you go, Prince. I love it. Oh, God. And then you hear all that stuff about um, the Olympics. Joe in China. Did you ever hear about, like, they invented... Or they didn't invent, but they uh, managed to get their government um, like scientists to <laughs> fast-track missiles that you shot into clouds that stop the rain. I'm sorry, what? Did you not hear about that? No. Yeah, for the Chinese Olymp- when the Olympics were held in Beijing, sorry, held in China, um, they had these guns that you fire into clouds that dissipate clouds so they wouldn't rain over events. Well, they're a thing; they're, they exist, but obviously China, being China, were able to commandeer those things that are usually used for ex- ex- uh, exceptional circumstances and just use them for a sporting event. Okay, <laughs> isn't that cool? I, uh, my mind's being broken a bit. Well, I can so, break it even more. Do you know the World Cup? When's the next World Cup being held? It's in... Uh, B22. Is it Qatar, isn't it? Uh, yes. Uh, my two... And you can look up the controversy surrounding about that, but the reason I like this is because... Do you know who originally pitched... Uh, who was the, like, the next in line behind Qatar? Was it not England? It was not England, it was Japan. Oh. And Japan were turned down to have the Olympics not the Olympics they got the Olympics this year and one of the reasons that they said oh you can't have the World Cup she's just got the Olympics yeah, also we, we don't think Japan has the infrastructure to support the amount of people that are going to visit mm-hmm. to watch the World Cup so which is why they gave it to Qatar a country I shit people not listening to this um, didn't have a single football stadium within yeah and that's where a lot of the, the controversies and you know, potential claims of bribes and stuff came there in. There was no potential claim. They all got found out. Yeah, it was 100%. It was all bribes. Qatari uh, officials sure bribes. I was like, confirmed to be true or not. But... It, no, that story is amazing. Because I think one of the things that happened is one of the guys who was caught accepting a bribe was an overweight guy in a scooter who had a parrot. And he was caught <laughs> because his parrot, like, um, uh, grasped him up a smile. I don't know this, but I know there's a guy with a parrot and the parrot was in court or witness protection or something <laughs> like that. And it was like, like maybe like the parrot repeated something. Like the story is amazing. But, um, like the Jap- Japan was originally going to get it before Qatar um, just paid money until they did. And yeah. one of the things that Japan says, look, we haven't got the infrastructure to support, say, 300,000 people arriving in the country overnight to watch these games. We haven't got enough stadiums to hold all the games. Hmm. So what Japan did, like, this is fucking amazing. I'm so mad that they didn't get to do this. We propose that we will develop hologram technology that we will give to all the other nations taking part so they can put in their stadiums, which will project the matches onto their pitches. Holy shit. So instead of flying to Japan, just go to a stadium in your own country and you will have hologrammatic projections of the matches 
that you can so watch So they were going to do, like, Hatsune Miku, but yeah. with football matches. Or, like, the uh, two-pack um, concert thing. They were going to use hologram technology to put, and drones, to drone projections of the players onto the pitch. Oh, my God. And they got turned down, and instead of the World Cup was given to Qatar, a country that didn't have a football stadium. <laughs> and how mad are you hearing that, knowing that that's what it could have been? I would have gone and watched football again. Yeah, like how amazing would that be? Oh, it's the World Cup. Oh, I can't go to Japan. You don't have to. You've got to Wembley. Yeah. You can go anywhere. Any like so they said, like, yeah, well, anyone who wants it can have it, and then if you want to buy one. Oh man, that'd be so How amazing cool. would that have been? And then as well, not only that, but I, unless, you know, Japan decided that no one else could use it after that, but ideally that would mean, oh, well, every single like cup final that's held across the world you can, can now be streamed via hologram to your own like home stadium. Yeah, you could do that and be a good way to make money. Obviously, the technology exists in its infancy, but one of the things Japan put in its its pitch because when you want the world cup, you got pitch. What you'll do? Yeah, and one of the things they said we will fast track the development of this technology. Just put all been, of our fucking efforts into it, which would have been sick as balls. But no, we don't get that now, and that sounds like the most awesome, cool shit ever. It's like um, thanks, Qatar. Uh, to combine that with uh, musicians, you have Michael Jackson. And uh, this is one I, I'm going to double check the facts on this one because I might half remember it. So I'm just going to double check now. So I need a riff for a moment, Lucas. While I okay, find yeah. The facts so, I mean, if we're going to riff, I'm just going to bring up the fact that, you know, we're talking about football and I live in Liverpool. Oh, yeah. LFC supporter. And for the first time in my life, Mm-hmm. We have won like the the national Premier League Cup. Oh yeah, the first time in my life, and it's like oh my god, and it was done in like the worst of times, I suppose for yeah a Liverpool fan. Cause it's like oh okay, well for the first time in thirty years we won like the English league, but everyone's on lockdown. <laughs> yeah, and the weirdest thing for me is I went to a friend's house because we can now form a limited social bubble. Because mm-hmm. you go to another person's house as long as you've both not been anywhere else. And I watched a game of football with him and they have multiple versions of the same match because they realise very quickly it is creepy, I guess, to watch matches with no crowds. Right, yeah, because yeah. It, because it's just eerily silent and it doesn't fit. You don't have the same energy or atmosphere. So, of course not. What football matches have done in the UK, or some channels have done in the UK, is for our American listeners, you probably won't believe this, but they are piping in fake crowd noises. <laughs> uh, and they've got a soundboard of uh, crowd noises to play that someone has to sit there and do in response to the action happening on um, <laughs> the field. And they even went to the effort of recording um, chants. For oh, different football man. teams, so they can play chance at certain times. Yeah, that's amazing. And they've done that because people, they found out the first time they did it and they didn't put any crowd noises in. Um, viewership just cratered because people found it too weird. It would be. Yeah, because it's, it's completely silent. And you can, it's you can similar even... to um, a case of even when I'm playing like, a video game, I'm watching television or something at the same time. Mm-hmm. I have to have the video game on a little bit. Because if you don't hear any of the volume, it's just, there's something wrong. It's just missing something. Yeah, and that's what's happened with football, where it's, yeah, we're just fake, we're piping in fake crowd noises. <laughs> <laughs> and while you've done that, I've uh, managed to find the story I want to talk about. And this is, uh, uh, prior to his untimely death uh, in the 2000s, uh, Michael Jackson had a couple of comeback tours planned. 
Uh, one of which was his 50-date residency at the O2 in the UK. Yeah. And I'm, I'm guessing... I, I think everybody in the UK knows at least someone who had a ticket for that. Oh, yeah, probably. Do you know anyone who had a ticket for it? Because I think one of my uncles... He had yeah, a, a couple of my family members managed to get tickets. And they were really pissed off. It's like, well, I'm sure Michael Jackson's more pissed off because he's dead <laughs> or whatever. And in addition to that, he had another more tentative plan in place to, after he'd finished that tour, his, his comeback tour, was to go to Las Vegas and take up residency there. Because it's a big thing. Like in Vegas, you have to do a show every single night for like a year. Yeah, yeah. In Vegas. And Michael Jackson, being Michael Jackson, thought, well, I'm going to do it better than anybody else. So one of the things that he had, I've just got a list here. So I'll just read the article out now. It's by The Guardian. And it says, years before Michael Jackson agreed to the 50-date residency show at the London's O2 Arena, the singer was considering a similar run. Oh, so it was a, um, this is the one he was contemplating, but he didn't make him as much money as the O2 one. A similar run of shows in Las Vegas. So um, Jackson was working with artists, not just on costume sets in an accompanying hotel, but on a gigantic Michael Jackson robot that would roam the Nevada desert. <laughs> And the plan here was to have a 50-foot-tall Michael Jackson robot that would roam around the Nevada desert firing hologram beams into the air advertising his show. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> no, it doesn't that, that sound like the coolest shit ever? Yeah. And there's other stuff here as well. So we have uh, plans for the Las Vegas concert began in October 2005, just months after he was acquitted on child molestation charges. Oh, forgot to bring that in. Oh, yeah. Fashion designer Andre Van Peer, a long-time friend of Jackson... And for some reason, I don't know why they do this, a long-time friend of Jackson and Princess Diana, but this is a British newspaper, so if you can mention Princess Diana, you kind of have to. Yeah. I think yeah. people in the America, yeah, it's a rule over here that at least once a week, a tabloid has to mention Princess Diana. And it says here that his costume designs included, and I'm quoting here, a space-age solar-powered fabric that changed colour in reaction to stage lights. I'm just you know, I imagine Lucas would want that in his house. I, when you were saying that, I was like, man, I want that. I want that shit, Carl. He says here that um, one of the other things that he wanted was a towering Michael Jackson's robot that would be visible <laughs> from Las Vegas' nearby airport. <laughs> and it would wander the desert as an advertisement for his show. How incredible would that be when you land in Las Vegas? You and get said off your here, plane, the just first a, thing you see is giant Michael Jackson robot. Just beaming holograms of like, buy tickets to my show. <laughs> so you see that Jackson and his team scaled down their ambitions. Instead of a roaming robot, they conceived a Michael Jackson-themed hotel with an android at the entrance. Oh. So the thing is, that I like how we're going to scale it down and instead build an entire building. Yeah, that's weird. We're going to build a, a giant hotel instead of one robot. A Michael Jackson-themed hotel. Yeah, yeah. With a robot at the start. But it says here, look, here's... Um, uh, uh, it says here, so... Patterson described the looming techno-Michael that would have dominated the hotel's proposed facade. So what they've done is built a hotel and instead put uh, Michael Jackson in front of it. The face would move, shooting laser beams into the sky. <laughs> so what they were going to do is, instead of this robot, he's built a Michael Jackson hotel with his face on the front that shot laser beams. <laughs> <laughs> Can you now imagine how fucking dystopian that would look. Yeah. If you're walking down the Vegas Strip and there's a face of a giant man beaming light, like lasers into the sky. That's like, that is almost on the level of that statue Bender builds in Futurama that just says, remember me and breeze fire. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking hell. But it would have been incredible. Like this, the kind of stuff that Michael Jackson was going to do during his lifetime is almost like, unbelievable. And it's only believable because it's him. 
Like, yeah. um, he had enough money in the 90s to buy Marvel. And he had enough money, and he was genuinely considering buying Marvel so he could cast himself in a Spider-Man movie. <laughs> and, like, Marvel just managed to not get bought out by Michael Jackson. I think something else he did is, um, in addition to buying... Uh, one of the first things he did when he became, like, a multi, multi-billionaire super, um, like, music god is he mm-hmm. bought... Not the rights to his music back. So all his early albums, obviously, they belong to the record companies. Yeah. He didn't buy the rights to his music back. He just bought the record companies. <laughs> because he didn't want to argue. Yeah. Because, when they, when they, because then they realised, oh, Michael Jackson's probably going to pay anything because he wants to own his entire back catalogue. We can charge him whatever we want. So he went, nah, and just bought the record companies. I, I the- just love stories like that where, oh, yeah, we're going to hustle this person. It's like, oh, no, that person just bought us out. What? Yeah, and one of the things that Michael Jackson ended up owning as a result of this was the almost the entirety of the Beatles back catalogue. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is why um, you couldn't get any Beatles music on streaming services for ages. Yeah. Because I think um, a company, I think maybe the Beatles or Apple bought them. Because there was a thing like the original recording company had like the word Apple in its name or something weird like that. Um, and there was rights yeah. where they couldn't do it. So I believe the company was like just Apple Productions or something like that, or Apple Records. That's it. And it was just literally, oh, but this isn't Apple. No, no, like this is like Apple Records, I presume. And it's just like, oh, that's weird because it sounds when you first hear, oh, who produced the Beatles music? Apple. It's like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. And that's one of the reasons you couldn't get Beatles music on any streaming services for a while because Michael mm. Jackson's estates owned them. Oh man, that's how rich he was. Yeah, that's. It's like, I'm not going to buy the rights to my music back. I'm just going to buy the entire record company and their entire back catalogue. Oh, oh, everything they've ever produced. It was Apple Core. Like there Apple, we go. As in C O R P S, like corporations. But the thing is, though, that's cool though. Apple Core. Yeah, that's clever. Someone probably got like a pat on the back and a handshake for that one. <laughs> yeah. Of calling it Apple Core. So I forgot it was I was watching the other day, but someone rhymed. Uh, What's it now? They rhyme the word tr- uh, trophy with catastrophe by pronouncing it catastrophe. <laughs> and I went, that's fucking money right there. I'm not even mad at that. <laughs> I love it. I love oh. when like there's something really clever about like, you know, just laboured pronunciations of words. There's, um, cause there's a great interview with uh, Eminem, one of the few interviews they've ever given, I think it's with Anderson Cooper, where they ask him what his favourite book is and he says the dictionary. I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, I read the dictionary every day to find new words to use in my raps. Ah, uh, okay. And I say, is this why you have such a, a excellent vocabulary? Because I think there's studies being done of vocabulary of rappers, and mm. Eminem's like fucking up there. Like He's yeah. up there with, he has more vocabulary in his like raps that he wrote himself than entire rap groups. <laughs> and he says, yeah, and one of the things that I really like doing is lo- looking at like, you know, old or defunct pronunciations. Because a lot of people say, there is, there's no word that rhymes with orange, which is just bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Because you can, like, you know, you can rhyme something with orange, like, if you know, door hinge. Uh, lozenge. Yeah. And it's all about the pronunciation. And he, on the spot, I'm not going to do it justice, but he, on the spot, makes up an impromptu rap that rhymes, like, seven different words with orange just based <laughs> on the way he pronounces them. And it's like, oh, wow, go out my name. Yeah, I remember um, going back to the nothing rhymes with the orange is... I was just watching QI once and they brought it up and they were just like, here is an entire wall of words that rhyme with orange. Based on the pronunciation, yeah. And that's one of the things that Eminem liked doing. And there's a couple of cool stories about him from like the, uh, the music industry. One was, 
I think he was writing a verse with, it might have been Drake or another mm. rapper. I mean, I think maybe it was Kendrick Lamar. He was writing a verse with him and someone asked Kendrick Lamar, like, well, Eminem is a very secretive man. He doesn't really give interviews. He's um, very reserved. He usually does like hide away in his giant rap mansion. Yeah. Um, what's it like recording with Eminem? Oh, it's, it's ridiculous because um, before he even sat down in a recording booth with me, he sat me down in a room with a pen and pencil. Oh, sorry, a, a pad and pencil and told me to write a verse right then and there to prove that I hadn't got ghostwriters in. Oh, wow. Because he, he refuses to sing in on a record with somebody or rap on a record with somebody who doesn't write their own material. Fucking hell. And because he didn't know anything about me, he made me sit down then and there to write a verse to prove that I could. Fair play. Because he really hates um, uh, the idea of people not writing their own stuff. That really bothers me, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I can I can totally side with that. I think we've discussed the topic, uh, the concept before, like um, write a word, get a third. Uh, I don't recognise that phrase. Okay, well, write a word, get a third. Uh, the example that I like to use is Taylor Swift. Where it was the song Shake It Off. Okay. Which in- initially was, I think Shake It Off might have been Shake It Up or something like that. Right, yeah. And what happened was um, Taylor Swift was brought in because they got this song from like some unknown writer, someone who just like, writes songs for a living. Because there are yeah. people out there who do that. The most famous one being perhaps Sia. I know um, Pharrell Williams did it for a long time yeah, as well. They just write songs for other people. And yeah. what you do is you get the person who writes that song and then you'll get someone who cleans it up. And then what they do is they'll present it to the artist and the artist will be encouraged to suggest a change. Even if that change is as simple as a single word, like in the example of Shake It Off, or which became Shake It Up, which became Shake It Off. And oh, now because yeah, yeah. Taylor Swift has made a contribution to that song, she can now get a, th- a whole third of the credit for writing it. <laughs> uh, so what it's called is write a word, get a third. Yeah, and obviously it's the thing of, well, I was one of the three people that wrote the lyrics. Yeah. Doesn't matter how many lyrics she changed. You wrote one, so you get it. Yeah. And um, there's something similar with that where it is. There's a lady out there who ended up getting a a credit on a song because she wrote a tweet. And I'm going to look this one up now because this is an amazing story. Okay, I'm a bit confused. Like, I'm not entirely sure how you would get a writing credit from a tweet. But yeah, Well, that's sure. because it's a, it's a really interesting story. It, it highlights just like how... Just bad of the music writing industry is. Yeah. It's got to check, got to check, got to check. Oh, Carl's doing his little fat check in. You got to do it. Here we go. Right, so we have here is the song Truth Hurts by um, Lizzo, a singer. And in this song, and in this song, you have a line which goes on, which says, I just took a DNA test. Turns out I'm 100% that bitch. Okay. Uh, in this song. And that line is ripped straight off of a tweet. It's word for word a tweet that some random lady makes. I'm going to look up the... Uh, I'm get a story about this here. Do, 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 do. You know, on this podcast, when we have our PCs available to yeah. both of us, right here and now, we might as well get the facts straight Make sure we're not getting the wrong people in the wrong credits. Yeah, so we have here, it is, uh, in February 2017, a British singer, goes by the name uh, Minor Lioness, which is a fucking sick, sick <laughs> name, um, tweeted out, I did a DNA test and found out I'm 100% that bitch. Seven months later, Lizzo released Truth Hurts, which features the exact same memorable line. Oh, wow. Wow. And, and here it did- is. Did they straight up credit it? 
No, because here's what happened was Lizzo was originally asked, did you rip off that line? Because, yeah, it's exactly the same. And she said, nah, I've never seen it before in my life. You know, the odds of multiple going the same idea are very high. And she actually tried to copyright the term. Despite oh, the no. fact like someone else came up with it. Uh, let's just find out. So there is a... Here we go. So now we've got... I'm on to Vulture.com now. So that's in that bitch. Years of back and forth claims she plagiarised the song's now iconic lyric. The pop former took Instagram to clarify inspiration for the song. And it says here, as I shared before in 2017 while working on a demo, I saw a meme that resonated with me, a meme that made me feel 100% that bitch. You know, even though we've just covered an article where she was asked about it, and that like, same no, year, it went, nope, 100% my idea. Completely 100% my idea. And then, oddly enough, when it turns out, oh shit, you know, you could be sued for that, she suddenly changed her mind <laughs> and I saw a meme. I like the idea, though. Oh, I was inspired by this meme that I saw on Twitter. Oh, do you mean you straight up plagiarised that tweet? Yeah. Uh, but I, I, love when she, I, I love when that stuff like that happens. I've never heard before it in my life. And then the moment that, um, like, oh, you know they can sue you for that, right? It's, oh, well, maybe I saw a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I vaguely remember seeing that, actually. Now that you mention it, for the 18th time. Yeah. And what happened was, eventually, that lady, who's also a songwriter, is now credited as the, one of the songwriters on Truth Hurts <laughs> for that line because Lizzo was like, uh, she was forced to admit, yeah, I completely ripped it off of that meme. Yeah. I didn't. And the sad thing is, if that meme would have been made by, if that would have been a random tweet, maybe they'd have gotten away with it. But because it was an actual songwriter, mm-hmm. who's like, no, fuck you, that's my line. And they probably know that writer word, get a third exists. Yeah. They are now credited as one of the writers, and they tweeted out, um, I just took a DNA test, and I am 50% the writer of Truth Hurts. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh, I'll get wrecked. Oh, oh. Man, I was really waiting for you in that story to just come out of the point where it's like, no, Lizzo denied it all, she said she came up with the thing, and then we went back on Twitter, and people found out she like shared it or something. It's like, oh, God, no. I would have loved that if she'd retweeted it. And she's like, no, I've never seen it. Yeah. And then suddenly, like, mysteriously, when it turns out, oh, wait, they've got a case, oddly enough, she just quietly admits, yeah, I did see that meme. Yeah. It's super good. But there's just something really frustrating about, like, it's so obvious that you stole it from this. It's so obvious because this thing went, like, that tweet went mega, mega viral. Yeah. So the odds of you not seeing it were very, very low. I think to the point where I may have seen that around the time, mm-hmm. and I do not follow um, many Music. people on Twitter at all, and most of them are just like game industry people. But you probably still saw that meme, but I just and love I that. Still off. think I saw it, yeah. Well, you, people saw that happen in real time. I read one article, which was like, you know, just the immediate response to the accusation, <laughs> and then it's like, no, nope, never heard of it. Um, I've, I, it's completely um, uh, coincidental. Mate, we, we have probably had the same inspiration for that line. Literally less than two months later, yeah, it, I admit it. <laughs> it's like, oh, for fuck's sake, just tell the fucking truth. People will respect you more for it. Yeah, they will. I respect people more for telling the fucking truth. Like, just admit you got caught. If, if it was the story of she turned around and went, yeah, I saw that tweet. It was fucking awesome. It deserved to go on my music. And I didn't realise that it was a singer-songwriter. I just thought it was a meme. It's like, yeah. no one owns a meme. Exactly, well, the, yeah. Well, the fact that I... Did you plagiarise this line? No. <laughs> Won't do it. Won't do it. We don't so do that. Fuck off. And it's like... Um, 
one of those great Wikipedia lists you can go look up. It's just like, oh, um, claims of plagiarism levied against, insert artist. Yeah. Uh, the one with the longest page just probably is Will I Am, oh, who's had like man. a dozen accusations of plagiarism layered against him. Oh, and he always Christ. denies them of like, no, man, you can't help it. And the, my, my favourite example, because it's the one that pisses me off the most, is when he released a remix of Around the World by Daft Punk. And when I say remix, I mean it's Around the World by Daft Punk with Will I Am screaming over the top of it. I shit you not, believe it or not, this is a remix. That is his entire contribution to the, and I'm giving massive quotes here, remix. Wow. It's literally just that. And Will I Am's like, yeah, I love Daft Punk. I'm sure they're going to see it as being really flattering that I decide to work with them. And Daft Punk he issued a cease and desist letter and just said in a very matter of, and just released a statement saying we think our music sounds better when Will I Am's not involved. <laughs> <laughs> it's just oh get fucked, Will I Am. But oh, oh. god, but how just subtle and nuanced a dunking is that, Lucas? Yeah, we think our music sounds better when Will I Am is not involved. Oh, God. It's just... Oh, it's so fucking good. And he was really mad about it, apparently. I I, I can imagine Will I Am being mad about that. Yeah, he's a, he's a huge salty bitch about everything. It's like, Will I Am stop stealing other people's music? Like, maybe don't do that. And he's like, nah, but I want to. Yeah. He's he's busy being an entrepreneur, Carl. Yeah. Oh, man. I still love, like, the best example of, like, a rap entrepreneur has to be 50 Cent. <laughs> did you ever see the thing where 50 Cent tweeted out I forgot that I took payment for one of my albums in Bitcoin it turns out I made a billion dollars on it <laughs> like he randomly just tweeted out one day yeah I forgot that for like a song or a writing thing that I did um, I they said do you want to be paid in Bitcoin I'm like yeah sure whatever and it's worth like 200 million dollars now oh my god <laughs> he just became an accidental like multi-millionaire because of it I mean, more of an accidental Milton millionaire than he was. I, I want to look this up as well. I want to find out exactly how much he makes. It was fucking brilliant, that 50 cent. He just forgot. I love that. Just, if you want payment in Bitcoin, fuck, yeah, He's sure. like, what the, fuck, it's like what, what the fuck's whatever. Bitcoin? I don't really care. I've got enough money to get by. Just give me this fucking Bitcoin thing. And it's like, oh shit, this is worth something now. Okay, so here we go. Uh, so he was 50 cents decision to accept Bitcoin payment for his 2014 Animal Ambition album. Has net the Grammy Award and a multi-million dollar windfall. So, um, 50 Cent, real name Curtis Jackson, which is a really cool name. Mm. Well, that's like, that could be an actor's name. Yeah, yeah. Like Curtis Jackson. I can see that being on movie posters and stuff like that. Anyway, so it says that he accepted payments in a volatile digital currency for his fifth album uh, when it was released in 2014. Um, in June 2014, when one Bitcoin was worth $662, uh, he had 400, he got 700 Bitcoins for it. Okay. So he made around $460,000 at the time. Yeah. Uh, but now he's holding Bitcoin worth $8 million. Oh my God. And I think you just tweeted it out. Just saying, oh, I accidentally, I forgot that I had all this Bitcoin and now I made like $8 million. It's not as much as I thought it was. But yeah, just the fact he randomly, he randomly went, oh, I made $8 million. Sick. Oh man. I mean... You know you've got enough money to get by when you take payment for your entire album in Bitcoin. And then, well, at the time they were worth like six hundred sixty-two dollars, so he, he took in a payment of like half a million dollars. But then oh, they yeah, just yeah. they sixteen tupled in worth over the course of a couple of years. <laughs> so I think big um, fifty cent as well. He bought vitamin water. 
bought vitamin water and then name dropped it in all of his songs. So, uh, people, went, so people went out and bought vitamin water as like a, a fashion um, uh, like statement. And then he sold um, vitamin water for like a billion dollars. Yeah, it, that reminds me of um, just an Always Sunny episode mm-hmm. where um, Frank just starts like telling people about needing to go and buy guns and arming themselves and stuff. Okay. And then it's because he's like made a business partnership with a gun shop. And he's just on the news telling people they all need to go buy guns and there's going to be like um, a shit going down basically. And like, we all need to defend ourselves. And he's like, yeah, I just did it for the money. Is that where that meme comes from? Of it's Danny DeVito and like, well, anyway, I just started blasting. It's him holding two guns. Yeah, yeah. Is that where that comes from? I think so, yeah. I, I fucking that love that meme. And I never understood the context of it, but I looked at it and went, I like this. Because it's Danny yeah, DeVito. Yeah, so I think DeVito's it was also. like, uh, oh, um, I defended myself with guns. And then that's when he's on the new show and it's like all built up. And he's just like, anyway, I started blasting. And he's just like, yeah, <laughs> guns are great. Go buy guns. Oh, man, well, it's, it's an image that I literally saw just before we started um, uh, all this uh, was a picture of some people in America who are at a, um, what was it now? They're at a protest. Yes, yeah. And I'm just going to send you this picture now, Lucas. Oh, God, no, the picture's right, these, people, these people are at a protest of like, yeah, I'm going to defend my property. And I want you to describe the image to me. So I'm going to send it on Discord. Okay. Where the fuck are you on Discord? Where's, where are you, Lucas? We're well, literally in a conversation right now, Carl. But I'm on my phone. Oh, right, okay. So let me send you a message. Here we go, direct messages. Lucas. Attachment. I was just trying to like figure out how to Discord on a phone. There we go. Oh, my God. So just describe that image to people, Lucas. Uh, so this is uh, an older uh, couple, and you've got a woman, like, holding, I guess, a, just a handgun, like a small mm-hmm. handgun. Where's her and, finger on the handgun, Lucas? Oh, on the trigger, of course. Yeah. And, she, and, where then, she, and where's she pointing it? Uh, just off into the distance where she isn't looking. Yeah, she's, she's looking away from where she's pointing a gun where her finger's on the trigger. And then you've got a man stood there with, I'm not sure what type of assault rifle, but some like kind M- of assault rifle. Like an M16 or something. Yeah, something along those lines. And he's, his finger isn't actually on the trigger, but he is literally just pointing it down the road. Yeah, he's pointing it there. And um, if people don't know anything about why this is a bad idea, um, one of the literal first things you are taught in any gun class, and um, the military, and I'm hoping the police, but probably not in America, is... You do not point your gun at something unless you plan to shoot it. Yep. And I believe the army and the military have a, I think, 12 to 15 de-escalation uh, list that they have to do before they're allowed to point a gun. And there's a great interview with like a Marine as he's talking about, oh, so let's say I'm at a checkpoint and I see a truck charging the checkpoint and he goes through everything he has to do before he is allowed to raise his gun and fire it. And it's like a massive long list of things that has to do in like, you know, a couple of seconds under immense pressure, mm-hmm. which is something only a highly trained soldier can do. Yeah. And then they show him a picture of like a police officer at one of the riots from a couple of years ago. And it's him pointing his gun with his finger on the trigger at a protester. And the army guy's like, the fuck is he doing? Mm-hmm. Like it's, a, it's an unarmed person. There's five of them. Why does he need a gun? Yeah. And then you've got these two motherfuckers here. It's like a woman. She's literally pointing a gun into a cr- like, presumably at people with her and finger on the looking. trigger, looking away. Yeah. 
Like one, if she literally, if she sneezes, she might kill someone. Mm-hmm. And I just saw that picture of like, yeah, if you want to sum up America in one image, I think it's this one. God. Of people at a protest of like, why they're allowed to have guns, proving why they probably shouldn't be allowed to have them. Yeah. And it reminds me, you talking about the, um, the like, things, the steps that they have to go to. Yeah, the number of... To not uh, shoot a gun. Um, I was watching a video on Twitter and it's basically a guy getting surrounded by cops because he's um, carrying a gun. Mm-hmm. Like, just, I presume, on his back or whatever, and filming. And he's like, this public property, I know my rights, I'm allowed to do this. And one of them is stood there asking like for his identification with his like, hand on the gun ready to pull out of his holster. Like, unbuttoned holster with his hand on the gun. He's like... What the fuck are you doing? Are you ready to just shoot me down right now? And that's the one as well where you're not supposed to do that because that's um, an inherently hostile act, mm-hmm. which is not de-escalating. It's the exact that's opposite de-escalating. Yeah. yeah, it's the exact opposite, and you're not supposed to touch your gun unless you plan on drawing it. You're not supposed yeah. to use it for either intimidation or to try and coerce someone because that's fucking that's a crime. Yeah. That's coercion via like via the means of a weapon. And like the amount of times you see it, it's like uh, you've presumably Luke, seen riot police, not riot police, or armed response police in the UK. Uh, yes, I have. Yeah. Like how well trained do those motherfuckers look? Uh, they look very well trained. I don't know how well trained they actually are. Oh, they're they're incredibly well trained because you don't have, police officers aren't allowed guns over here unless they go fucking extra two years of training. Yeah. But like when you see them walking, they walk perfectly, like you know, immaculate posture. Mm-hmm. they are constantly scanning the environment. They always walk in pairs. Yep. They always walk in pairs. And something you'll notice as they walk is one of them always walks slightly behind the other one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they basically have a like 270 degree coverage of the entire area in which they are in. Um, they have their guns on their front and they have their hands on them constantly, but they always have their finger in the position where it's not on the trigger to stop someone else from reaching over and grabbing it and pulling the trigger. And the guns are always pointed down. And they're always pointed down at the floor away from where people are. Yeah. And then you see those like things of like people with AR-15s on their back. Yep. And it's like, what's to stop someone just walking behind you and just grabbing that? Exactly. Like you, if you can't see it, it's very fucking dangerous. Oh, man. It's like when people have like holsters, but they have them on their back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they have like the holster behind them. It's like, what? I took a, a gun into the back of the trousers. Oh, God. Someone can just grab that and shoot you with it. The whole point is that only you were supposed to be able to access it. Yeah. It's like, this is the reason, like, the military don't put weapons on their back. Oh, God. Like, oh, you've probably seen it, haven't you? Of, um, they soldiers clearly know in, better than the military car. Like, soldiers in war zones, um, if they have, like, a shotgun or something, they'll have it strapped to their front. Yeah. And they have it dangling at their front so only they can access it. It's like, exactly. oh, but that's stupid. Why is it not on his back? Why would it be on his back? Like anywhere, so any people can't sneak up to him and grab the shotgun. Where any motherfucker doing it. it's crazy to think. And like one of the watching like um, experts, like military and um, just like police who've been trained to use the weapons, and just seeing that the look of despair in their eyes as yeah. they see people who like that and like that these people are fucking monsters. They're going to kill people. That's the thing. Is it's one thing when you know I'm working at a restaurant and I see someone like doing something unhygienic and I'm like how stupid can you be this is with fucking guns that will kill people like straight up well there was that guy wasn't a couple of uh, months ago where he was on a stream and he was playing with his gun while drunk and shot it 
yeah. by accident because he's like, oh yeah, the gun's unloaded, pulls the trigger and a bullet flies out and goes through his wall. And it's like, oh, uh, I thought I'd unloaded it. And it's like, well, it did, but there was still a bullet in the chamber, you fucking moron. And the number one rule of handling a gun is always treat a gun like it's loaded. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you know it's not, always treat it like it is mm-hmm. until it becomes second nature. And I remember that guy released a statement of, look, because he got banned off Twitch. Of course, he's like, yeah, I yeah. understand why I was banned off Twitch. It's like, you don't get to speak. You don't even get to make a statement. You're too stupid. Mm-hmm. You're too stupid. You don't. You were clearly not responsible enough to look after yourself. You do not get a statement in this scenario. Fuck off. Oh, it's man. like, oh, God, you're like, you could have killed somebody because you are a moron and you wanted to show off. And that's the thing is, regardless of whether anyone got hurt or not, it's the fact that he accidentally just shot his gun without realising it. And it's like, oh, okay, well, fortunately, he was just sat at a desk on a Twitch stream and he didn't shoot himself or anyone else. But imagine being that guy's neighbour. Yeah. Like, he could have shot, shot his neighbour. There's plenty of stories of people like, being shot through walls, especially like obviously thinner walls. In America, yeah. Yeah. It's all been out of wood. Um, well, and I imagine though, like, you just get in from work one day and your partner's dead because the guy, ne- and you find out the guy next door shot him. So, like, what happened? They have an argument. So, no, he was streaming on Twitch and he got drunk and he tried to play with his gun. Yeah. And the bullet went through the wall. I like, imagine how fucking defeated you would feel by that moment. And then imagine that that guy's like, I'm really sorry. It's like, I don't want to hear your apology. Your apology's worthless. Yeah, go fuck yourself. <laughs> it's like, it's so bad. It's, it's awful, it's, man. Like, how are people so dumb? I don't know. They're just, I'm going to play with a gun and just shoot it. And then get banned off Twitch. Yeah. And then like, oh man, I'm glad. I, I, it's a good thing they banned me off Twitch. It's like, you don't get an opinion. And my favourite thing... Uh... Regarding people being banned off Twitch is oh yes, what we got? Yeah, I'm gonna bring it up. Okay, uh, which was this? Just the fact that the internet is losing its fucking mind. Apparently, all the Twitterverses and the Reddits are okay because Doctor Disrespect got banned out of nowhere, mm-hmm. and every response I see to anything, there's just somebody replying, "Yeah, but what happened to Doctor Disrespect?" It's like shut the fuck up about him. He's, an He's awful clearly done idiot. something awful. Because without even a statement, Twitch have just unrelentingly banned him from Twitch. Like, oh yeah, they've like they've um, fucking just hackied him out of nowhere. Yeah, like refunded all his Twitch subs, um, like deleted all his emotes, mm-hmm. can't use them anywhere. Uh, and it's like, just like, oh yeah, uh, these atrocities are happening across the world. Yeah, but what about Doctor Disrespect? So why do Shut you the fuck up! <laughs> Stop attaching your entire ego to a fucking streamer and a and bad a one at that streamer at that one whose entire shtick is like, like a fucking dickhead yeah oh is he just an act though yeah but I'm a dickhead in real life but the thing is regardless of whether he's a dickhead or not he's encouraging all of his viewers to then go and be dickheads to other people yeah and then all the other stuff he's done like filming children in the toilet ah uh, yeah but you know he got a slap on the wrist and two week ban for that call it's crazy but we could talk about that like the amount of people over the last couple of weeks like, on Twitch especially mm-hmm. I think Twitch has been like the new uh, central like, Twitch and YouTube have been like the new hotbed for just man did we like it's probably not it's probably like not a big deal but did you know like this list of 30 fucking creators have all sexually harassed or worse women yeah um, in the industry mm-hmm. maybe we should talk about that 
Yeah, and I like if I'm not wrong, it started out as far as I'm aware at least, started out with um some wrestlers coming out about like harassment and allegations and etc. Yeah, and it's just and exploded and it's every just industry kind of, is. Yeah, it is spread out and like all I will say is everybody who's come out uh is very brave and it is hopefully making some change for the better. Well, it is. It's like incredibly brave because you'll see the this smarmy reply guys, the contrarian to that. Why are you bringing it up now? And then you look at the like. Well, here's the the list of screenshots of the conversation I had with them, uh, where they threatened to blackmail me or blackball me from the industry. Mm. Like my career was at stake by talking about this. Yeah. And that's the thing is, a and lot I'm one hundred percent victim. Yeah, a lot of the people are, I'd say, risking their entire careers if people don't support them and don't believe them and always believe the victims. Even if they do believe them, they can still get um, fucked up. Oh, yeah, totally. And it's like the number one thing I see whenever you get those, again, the smarmy, contrarian reply guys of, oh, man, you're just doing it to get famous. It's, you ask the question, have you seen a single person, a single person ever who's made an accusation like this, who's actually come out better off because of it? Yeah, that's totally the case. Ever. It never happens to anybody. Like Their no. entire life is pulled apart. More so, um, people aren't is talking about the victims. People talk about the people getting accused. So, oh man, how does it impact them? So, I don't know, maybe don't you know harass and sexually assault women. Yeah, I um, retweeted something, I believe. And okay. It was just, uh, you know, in reply to kind of all these people, uh, a lot mainly it's males. It's a massive like, list. I can't do anything anymore. And it's just, oh, oh, do you expect me to never talk to women? It's like, well, Oh, I yeah. saw this one. Was if it the dude who's like... Uh... If you can't, like, treat talk to women without sexually harassing them, then yes, I guess Maybe so. Maybe don't. Yeah, it was the guy who was like, oh, so how exactly am I supposed to tell a woman that I like her? And he got, like, a really just honest and genuine piece of advice of, well approach the person mm-hmm. say hello and then talk to them like a human being and then like you know hopefully as a human you'll be able to feel if there's any mutual attraction between you and they got blocked oh, because man. he because he doesn't understand he doesn't want that as an answer he wants so, uh, what is the cheat code i have to put in to get the woman to sleep with me it's like no human interaction is like not binary <laughs> unfortunately you will have to feel this one out not literally, because that's part of the problem. Yeah, and I always find it funny when you um, talk to people who maybe don't get that, and it's, yeah, but what chat line do I use to get girls? It's like, well, A, don't really use chat lines, because that's not a good idea. B, why do you think one chat line's going to work on every fucking girl? Yeah, like, women are complicated creatures, just like you. Like, it's all it all comes down to empathy. It's yeah. Like you, they are completely unable to see that a woman is exactly as complicated as them. And that's, it's just, I don't get it. It confuses the hell out of me because I've had this conversation multiple, multiple times with people. Of, um, like when mm. I was in university, you know, a younger man, yeah. more confident man, when I had like, you know, a, a full head of hair. I've got a full head of hair now, but at least it was styled back then. Yeah. Uh, because barbers were open. It's like, oh, so Cal, what, what's the secret? Because I remember my housemate asking me, like, I brought a girl home once. Yeah. I was like, how did you convince her to come home with you? That's well, I was nice. Mm-hmm. He said, well, what did you say? I, I said, hello. <laughs> and he couldn't believe that 
my my your chat line was hello. I was like, you know, I said hello, and we we talked, and we went for a drink, and we hit it off, and yeah. then she decided to come home with me. There's no trick. There's no secret. It's just I interacted with the girl. I was nice. I was genuine, and we had a connection. <laughs> and then I had male friends who were like, yeah, but what did you say? Because I don't remember. It was small talk. It was like conversation. Mm. And they're like, this, what's the trick? So you must have done something. Like, no, I just said hello. It's like, and it's like, it's baffling. Yeah. It's crazy to me. Like, how do you not see that you just talk to someone like a human being? And I've genuinely had times with guys where I've been trying to get this across. And I, I will, like, you know, I will mention, obviously, it's not just guys. This is not just guys hitting on girls. It can be girls hitting on guys, men, mm. like, you know, men hitting on men, whatever. Like, the, but this is the experience we have. this is the experience we have. Anyway, um, I was trying to get it across to one of my friends that, yeah, just, you know, go up, talk to them. He tried it once with one girl who turned him down and then the attitude immediately turned to, well, that doesn't fucking work. It's like, you, no, it didn't work with that one person because they may not have been single, they might not have been interested in you, whatever, it didn't work that one time, go and try again. It's like, oh, no, no, it doesn't work. You can't talk to women. It's like, fuck yeah. sake. It's like the ones, the responses you've no doubt seen. It's like, oh, like, um, like sexual harassment in the workplace. Because what are you telling me? Like, I'm not, like... I'm afraid to give a woman that I work with a hug anymore because of all stuff's going on. So if that's you're genuinely worried that your hug would be misconstrued as sexual assault, maybe you shouldn't hug women. Yeah, what <laughs> type of hug are you giving people if they think it's sexual harassment? It's like, oh, bosses, are, like, people aren't hiring women because they're scared that they might accuse them of sexual assault. It's like, what about your behaviour makes you think that's going to happen? And like, yeah. why is it the woman's fault? Like, surely, like, and they never at any point, like, do that extra leap of logic to realise maybe I'm the problem. Yeah, it it's baffling, but they don't. And it's awful. And I've seen it in real time mm-hmm. like, in the places that I've worked before, where like, I used to work in, like, a very female uh, dominant job. There was, like, six guys who worked there. Yeah. And I remember, like, one of the chefs was a really creepy, leery asshole. Mm-hmm. And he'd always, like, um, try to invite himself on nights out that we went on. And yeah, like you yeah. go into the kitchen, and he'd like as like one of the waitresses would come in, get some food, and go, "Oh, fucking give her one, won't you, mate?" I'm like, "Whatever, no, not really." And yeah. he never understood that talking about women like that and acting in that way, they never wanted to spend any time with him or talk to him. He's like, "Why don't they ever invite us on the night out?" It's like because I don't <laughs> want to speak to you, and he could never see it. Like just something about his, and he could never just self-introspect and realise that your behaviour is the reason that these girls don't want to talk to you. And maybe if you stop talking about them like that, maybe they'll want to spend time with you. People generally don't like being objectified, weirdly Not enough. Really, no. Yeah, it's a strange thing. But the way you talk about women is fucking disgusting. And like on nights out and stuff, and you'd be like a creepy, leery asshole. Mm-hmm. And then mysteriously, it gets... Like, you must have had this happen before, where you're out with a bunch of friends, and you've yeah. got like one guy... That one guy, mm. and then by like you get to about half twelve, and like four of the girls from your group have just gone, and they've gone yeah, to a different club yeah. or a different pub, just because they don't want to hang out with that guy. Mm-hmm. And then um, that guy will be like, "Where the fucking girls go?" I will admit, you know, I'm I'm not perfect. I 
especially when I was younger, have had many times when I've probably misread the situation. Most of the time, um, I was probably, like, drunk to some degree, which is no excuse, but, you know, I I will admit I've done things that I've looked back on and gone, oh, maybe that came off the wrong way. Maybe, like, I weirded that person out a little bit. I'll try to bear that in mind and not do that again. See, and that's the important thing there, that you remember it and that you feel bad mm-hmm. and that you want to move on and grow. Do you haven't done there, Lucas? You haven't gone, nah, stop bringing it up, Doe. <laughs> Why are you bringing up that I acted like a creepy, weird asshole? It was three years ago, come on. Yeah, uh, so I will clarify that I've never gone to the degree of like no, Luke, no, I'm actually saying. harassing a woman, but just, you know, a couple of comments that I think when I look back on it, like, oh yeah, I shouldn't have made that comment. Maybe, yeah, and everyone's young once, and being young is not an excuse, but it does, like, it adds that layer of, like, the, the deniability, like, come on, you've grown as a person since then. And, mm. but, but we can bring that into just, like, and fold it into the idea of, like, creators just getting called the fuck out. Like, I cannot believe, like, the amount of times I've, like, logged onto Twitter and over the last two, three weeks and just seeing a new person who's, like, had a blackface video for some reason in their archives. Yeah. Or said, like, oh, insert creator as, like, uh, apologised for saying the N-word in a video. Yeah, um, this this person has now made a statement saying they've removed all of the videos with racist jokes in it. So why were you making the racist jokes? Right, and I have. Uh, and the, the most infuriating response you always see to this from people is, um, why is it such a big deal? Oh, that drives God. me mad. And I yeah. thought long and hard before this podcast about what's a way to uh, get through to those people. The people like, I don't see why it's a big deal. And it reminds me a little bit, and I'm going somewhere with this, of a, a study that was done a couple of years ago um, that involved um, strapping a bunch of people to a chair and putting diodes on their head. And the experiment involved, it was a group of white university students. And what they did is they put um, diodes on their head to measure their emotional and physical reaction. And they showed them video footage of someone of a white hand being stuck with a pin. And um, by and large, almost every single person had some kind of reaction to this. Whether mm. it was like, you know, just feeling uncomfortable, like changing skin temperature, um, like some part of their brain flashed up. They were feeling pain. Um, but when they repeat this experiment with footage of a black hand, um, the reactions were a lot more muted. And in some cases, like, people didn't react at all. Oh, um, well. Just, it's just people just largely unable to feel even the most base level of empathy for a black person. It's like, oh, that's what you can extrapolate from that. And before we get those angry, contrarian people, like, maybe they didn't react like that because the hand is a different colour to their hand. That's why they're not reacting to it. So to those people, because they always happen, they always get those motherfuckers, they also repeated the experiment with um, footage of a white hand that had been digitally altered to look purple. And when the purple hand got stuck with a pin, people had the exact same reaction. Oh, well. So humans are hardwired to feel more empathy from Dark Elves, from World of Warcraft, than they are a, like, a quantifiable percentage of the Earth's population. Um, yeah, and it's a similar kind of thing that I saw that was not specific to um, like white people. It was um, a variety of men and women of all like different 
races, etc., etc., and backgrounds. And it was an experiment of we're going to show you um, pictures of like just different everyday life things. And they found that nearly every person would react more to a picture of like, you know, people that were similar to them. Yeah, their own race. And it, it is a hardwired thing of um, like culturally we've grown up as like, oh, well, the evolutionary um, ideas you, yeah. of it is... You identify like, with people who... You identify with people of the same group because that's how people survived. Yeah, well, they've extrapolated upon that research. Like, maybe this is one of the reasons that, you know, for some white people, they find it difficult, if not like impossible, to empathise with black people. And you can, I, yeah. in my head, and this is why I'm bringing it up, I'm like, doing some like, armchair psychologist here. If like, you can see a... A, the, an example of that kind of behaviour when you'll see, say, like someone on YouTube who released a video years ago where they say the N-word and you'll get that angry white reply guy of, like, I don't see why people are pissed off about this. Mm. When a black fan of that creator is like, I'm really upset by this because they can't, in their head, empathise with the pain that word causes. So what I did is I workshopped a, uh, a solution to this and I want to try and I'm going to unveil it now um, and you're, Lucas, you're going to be my guinea pig for this. And I know that you uh, can feel empathy for people of other races because, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're a human. But, yeah. Lucas, I want you to pretend now that you are one of those awkward reply guys who's like, I don't see what the big deal is about someone saying the N-word five years ago. So right. you want me to try and get in the mindset of that person? Yeah. And what I want you to do now is um, mentally replace the phrase said the N-word... Uh, of the sentence that I'm about to say, with cheated on their partner. Okay. Because I think that that is just something that's a lot easier to empathise with for all people. So now I'm going to say, like, so... And I'm going to just, um, like, make up a, he- like, a variation of a headline I've seen, re- like, roughly three or four times over the last couple of um, weeks, which is, YouTuber apologises for old video of them saying the N-word after it re-emerged online this week. So have you, have you in your head, replaced saying the N-word with cheated on their spouse? I have, yes. Yeah, and what's the operative word then in that headline that makes you go, nah, fuck that person? Is it the word after? Because... I mean... Yeah, they, apo- they apologise. Which word... They apologise yeah. after it emerges. Not before, not when it happened. Not yeah, it's during the period of... where it could... No, it's after footage of it happening is revealed this week. Suddenly, that's when they feel like apologising. It's that thing of only apologising when you get caught. Yeah, and when you... And using my new racism-solving tech of imagining that it's instead that they cheated on their spouse. Because mm-hmm. I think even if you don't... If you've never experienced someone cheating on you, I think people can imagine it happening. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure like most people listening to this will know at least one person who's had that happen to them. And even years later, years after the fact, still f- fucking hate the person who cheated on them, regardless mm-hmm. of how much they've changed as a person. Yeah. Like even if like I know someone who their boyfriend cheated on them in like just college between college and high school so like 16 17 years old yeah and that guy is now married with kids and she still fucking hates him 
she wow. still thinks he's a pretty. It doesn't matter that he's like you know he's he's ever he's changed as a person. He's a completely different person than he was back then. She still thinks he's a prick for doing that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that any but any reasonable person would be like would go up to him and go, "Well, come on, it happened a few years ago." It's like, no, he fucking cheated on me. Yeah, yeah. And then what you do is you mentally change it back to saying the N word. And now imagine that instead of you going to someone who'd been cheated on, like, oh, forget it was only a few years ago, get over it. You're like, no, I understand why maybe that'd be something that's a sore point for you and would make you think less of this person regardless of what they've done since. Because it is inherently an action that makes you think less of a person just by the fact that they were willing to do it in the first place. Mm Mm-hmm. And I I do love that a lot of these, um, like, streamers and stuff have been found out or have admitted to, like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I cheated on my wife. But it's okay, she knows about it now. Yeah. And I'm I'm getting help. And it's, no, you still fucking cheated on your wife, you fucking prick. And if you use that analogy and you... You use basically the exact same arguments that you that I have seen of people trying to defend. Why is it a big deal that they said the n word in these videos all those years ago? So like, oh, why is it a big like why do you think it doesn't really change what you think about this person to know they cheated on their partner all those years ago? It's like yes, it fucking does. Yeah. It's like but you haven't seen all the work they've done for other people since they've they've tried to change the person. Like should it really affect how you look you view them now? Yeah, it should. Because their decision to do that is something that's really fucking bad. Yep. Yep. And, and I just thought... There's, like, um, we could do different that. levels of it. Of like, Obviously, we mentioned earlier, like I said that, you know, I've done things in the past that I've tried to learn from. But then the difference is like, oh, okay, well, I didn't spread hatred and vile on purpose. It's like I said something accidentally to make someone uncomfortable. Not openly just saying, like, no, like, here's an insult directed at an entire race of people for no fucking yeah. reason. And then so when you have the levels of it, of, like, you could do the headline of, oh, uh, YouTuber apologizes uh, after a video of them kissing somebody else while they're in a relationship emerges online. Mm. Maybe you'd be a bit more inclined, like, it happened once, like, maybe a bit more inclined to forgive them than if the headline was YouTuber apologizes after the fact, after video of them sleeping with their spouse's sister emerges online. Yeah. And there are levels to the things that you can do. Like, all, again, and, but it's just that thing of, I've seen so many fucking people, like, I don't see why it's a big deal because they cannot empathize or put themselves in the position of one of the marginalized group that is directly impacted by that behavior or statement. And if yeah. they could... And they and, they, and by and because of that, they then become hostile towards those marginalised people for getting mad. Yeah. In fact, why are you mad? They've apologised. And I imagine you saying that to someone of their boyfriend cheats on them. It's like, why are you mad at him? He apologised. Like he still cheated on me. It doesn't matter that he's apologised. <laughs> I'm st- I still feel hurt by it. It's still like yeah, a betrayal of trust. Regardless. It is yeah. And it's up to the individual whether or not they, they can trust that person again. And I think like, a, a statement that you will see when cheating happens is, I will forgive you, but I will never forget. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You will always see that statement thrown around. And I think it's very similar when it's someone like being a horrible fucking racist. It's like, okay, you've clearly changed. Like, you've, you've made efforts to improve yourself. 
and I'll forgive you for what you did, but I'm not going to forget that you did it in the first place. And I'm always going to think less of you because of it. Yeah, I'm and not you sure can't I could say that, that. I'll forgive them or forget them. Well, that's the thing, like, some people can. Yeah, yeah. But the, the common phrase is, I'll forgive you, but I won't forget. And again, I don't think you'd ever get criticised for saying that if your partner cheated on you. Mm. Look, I can look past it, we can, we can, we can be amicable. We can try and make you know, this work, but we'll I'm be not going to forget what you did. No, I'm not, and I'm not, and I'm always going to think less of you because of it. And I don't think in that situation you'd have those smarmy reply guys going, come on, it was a few years ago, can't you forgive them? Why'd you keep bringing it up? Mm-hmm. Because I keep bringing it up because they keep, like, trying to say, oh, I'm a really great guy. So I remember when you cheated on your girlfriend. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so you don't get to forget your past. The thing that I always found weird is the phrase forgive and forget. And I remember somebody, a close friend of mine, mm-hmm. tried to use that on me in high school. And it was, a case, again, a case of like, we had a big fight, like a literal fist fight that it ended mm-hmm. up being. And, you know, we, we cooled down apart and about an hour or two later came back up to each other and was like, look, I'm sorry, it shouldn't have happened. Like, let's get past it. And he was like, yeah, yeah, forgive and forget. I was like, well, I'll forgive you, but I'm not fucking forgetting what happened. And then they get mad. Yeah. And then they get mad that you won't forget it. And then it's your fault for not forgiving them. Because that happens a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Where you'll get someone do something awful like that. They'll apologise. And then people are like, I don't accept your apology. It's like, why? I apologise. It's like, yeah, but you still did me wrong. Also, I'll say that someone who apologises after they get caught, um, that apology will always be suspect. Yes, exactly. Um, like if you're apologizing, because I, I think I had this, I tweeted about it, and the weirdest thing is I tweeted out very vaguely because it's, it's happened a lot. It's like we could go down onto YouTube now, like, onto Twitter or Google. I could Google this, and I'd probably find a list of like five fucking YouTubers in the last two weeks who've done yeah. something like this, or that have people, been called out for things in the past. But people are seeing, thinking that I'm direct, I'm attacking someone specifically. It's like mm-hmm. no, I'm speaking broadly. And you're the person who's taking it as an attack on this person. Which means that you're the one who is reading too much into something and getting offended and angry because of it. Which is quite ironic, don't you think? Yeah, and I think it's kind of... very Well, not kind of. It's very upsetting to think I could put out a tweet right now that says, like, oh, um, fuck people who sexually harass... And then, and then people, people would, could think that is a targeted attack. On at, seven different people. Yeah, probably about a hundred different people in the last two weeks. That's what makes it so hilarious that I tweeted it out and I think it was, a, it was Jenna Marbles mm. where videos of her um, wearing blackface and using like um, uh, racial slurs about Asian people oh, emerged from like 10 years ago. Yeah. And people are like, oh man, it's really bad of you to target her with this because she apologised for it. It's like, I'm not even mentioning her. You're the one who thinks I am. Yeah. But it says a lot about your personality that you're so ready to jump to the defence of a millionaire mm-hmm. than it is like read and acknowledge the statement of, man, it's really fucking bad that people are racist and get away with it and profit from it for years and then years. only apologise yeah. after they're called out. Oh, man. And it's one of those things of, I don't know uh, specifically about Jenna Marbles, but yeah, as you mentioned, most of them right now, either people apologising because they've been caught out, or people now trying to get ahead of it because everybody else is being called out on it. Yeah, and they're realising, oh, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off. I'm the next one, yeah. So it's like, quick, get out out ahead of it. 
And like one's worse than the other, but even still, like um, I think Game Grumps, if we want to speak specifically about one, where they said, oh, we're taking out a load of videos that JonTron was in. Because mm-hmm. people don't know JonTron was a member of Game Grumps and he's just a horrible fucking racist. Yeah. Um, he's like said some like truly abhorrent things. His views are poisonous, they're toxic, they're actively harmful um, to society. Yep. Um, he was in their videos for years and for a while, I didn't follow the game groups that closely, but the breakup of the group was uh, very public. Yeah, for yeah. years, I thought that is racism. Like, it's simmering under the surface and it had come to a head at this point and that's why they parted ways. Hmm. Uh, it turns out, no, he'd always been a huge prick and in their very earliest videos featuring him, he was openly screaming the N-word in all their videos and they just edited it out. Yeah, fuck no. And they edited it out, and that means that they, for years, worked with and profited from the work they made with this person, who's being a horrible racist in private and never once tried to call him on it. And then after he left, continued to happily profit from the work. Yeah. It's and like, is, I get um... it. It's like, it's so fucking bad. It's like, yeah, I, and to my knowledge, I believe the people who are still part of the game, they've made really concerted efforts and they, they've shown that they're truly ashamed of what they did back then and the fact they profit from this work. But the fact that you sat there for literally years and allowed yeah. this person to start and you knew that this person was problematic and bad and just thought, we'll edit around it. That's one thing I want to just say then is, yeah, I think one big part of this whole movement again that's happening is that like you need to be there to call people out Hmm. it's not just about oh well you know quote unquote cancel people that are being racist also i hate the the cancel culture thing but that's a different thing it's just no one it's ever applied to has ever been cancelled yeah and it's one of those things that if you see somebody that is saying racist things or if you see somebody showing signs of like being like creepy um around other people or making people feel uncomfortable like you need to be there to call people out and it will especially not be pleasant that... conversations but you need to do it especially when that person's friend and it's why uh, the apologies for me and what we asked again it rang so fucking hollow mm-hmm. to apologize for it. it's like you profited from this shit for years and it's like oh we were young and naive back then and you look it up and they were like 25 yeah. So you are a fully grown adult, and at that point you run a business and you are very wealthy independently because of it. And you have a massive platform, and I would argue an obligation to the fans that you have to like, create a welcome, if not welcoming, just like environment where they're not being actively disenfranchised by yeah. someone who, like a leading voice of the content you put out. And um, the the. Way I always like to think about that makes it funny is uh, when it comes to stuff like this is not because uh, something I've seen put around like uh, an argument I've had recently. In fact, was oh man, are you saying that people can't make racist like racism that no topic should be off limits in humour? And it's like yeah, and I thought you know, you know what racism can be funny if let's use the game grumps as an example. I'm sorry if I'm dunking on them, but like it's very funny if you imagine them making their videos. So let's pretend that you're in one of those recording sessions and you're sat there and you're sat next to this awful person and they're saying the N-word and they're, and they're yelling it out and they're just they're coming out with all these awful, awful things and then you go in and then it's very funny to imagine you're in the editing room and they're going through the footage and they're editing out all the N-words 
and they're sending it along to someone else to look through, and they go, oh, sorry, mate, you missed an N-word. You better edit. Oh, what a show. We better edit that one out. Oh, oh, dearie me. That would be that'd be bad if that got out, wouldn't it? Oh, heck. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. dearie me. And it's very funny to imagine someone just being so casually blasé about something so horrendous. Mm-hmm. It's like the, the Logan Paul thing. Uh, like, the situation where you film that dead body is abhorrent and horrific, but it's kind of hilarious in a macabre way. To imagine him, one, finding the body, and then the conversation that took place as he slowly pulls out his video camera, <laughs> films it, oh. goes back to his hotel room, and then sits there, edits the footage, and then he has to crop around his own face with a thumbnail. And just that situation, I, as awful as the situation that caused it is, is really fucking funny to me. So it's imagine just how clinical the um, like, so the, the production of the content it, I, it made is. And that's the thing is... Think about how many points there were to where stop. You could have realised how bad an idea this is. At any point, like I... how long did he have? That must have been what a day, a couple mm-hmm. of days, a few days of put, like filming, editing, uploading, um, you know, changing descriptions, making thumbnails, promoting, and at no point did he go. Oh, maybe this isn't a good idea. And it's only at the point... Like, it's not even after the video's release where they realise it's a bad idea. Like, in the Logan Paul case, it was after it appeared on the news. Yeah. And then in the case of the Game Grumps, it was nearly like seven to ten years after the fact. They realised, oh, maybe we shouldn't have this footage up. Yeah. Like, it took you five years to realise maybe having someone in your video who's a horrible racist is a bad fucking look for your company. But Carl, it was making them money. Oh, God. And that's why it's very funny to me. And the example I like to use is Little Britain, mm. where um, Little Britain, loads of episodes that have been basically took off streaming services, it was shit. And uh, my friend, who is Asian, watched an episode of that with me, with the episode with Ting Tong, which is a horrible, racist stereotype of a Thai bride, played by a white guy in a fat suit, yeah. who, li- who is a, literally like a, a hair away from just going Ching Chong yeah. as the joke. And that was um, the joke, by the way. The joke is that, oh, it's a the guy orders a Thai bride and it's an ugly fat dude in a costume with his eyes taped to look slanty. And it's super and it is unapologetically horrifically racist. And it's not funny to watch, but it's very funny if you imagine everything that led up to the production and airing of that episode. If you imagine Matt Lucas and David Williams in the writer's room going, Guys, I have got a fucking money idea for a sketch. How about guy orders a Thai bride? It's like, okay, but how do we make it funny? The Thai bride is a guy in a costume. That's funny. Because we all think it's funny when, like, you know, women look like men. That's hilarious. Great, go, guys. But who's going to wear the costume? Oh, don't worry, I will. Me, white guy. And then you imagine them sat in the makeup chair and they're putting the yellow makeup on his face and they put the tape onto his eyes to pull him back and they put the wig on his head. And then he does the voice of like, hello, Mr. Dudley, that awful yeah. racist voice. And he does that. And everyone in the makeup room is howling with laughter and cackling like hyenas. And they go on to set and they film the scene and they go and they watch the dailies in full costume. And they're laughing uproariously about it. And then they send it to a censor who looks at it because this is fine. Put it on at eight o'clock in the evening when kids can watch it. Yeah. So and like, every what? individual step at any point, someone could have gone, hang on. Is this not a bit racist? That's the thing is, it was set in, like, yeah, through editing, through, like, production. Writing, uh, filming, makeup. And then 
straight to, as you say, at like, I think it was about 8pm where children could view it. Prime on the time. BBC, the fucking British broadcast, whatever. I can't remember the, 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 uh, the an- uh, anagram now. The British Broadcasting Corporation. If people That's are wondering the what's the big deal with the BBC, the BBC... Um, because it's funded by public money, is obligated to use that public money for what is serves the public interest. Yeah. So it is required by law to put out programming um, that appeals to all people and even like you know appeals to minorities of the Britain. Because obviously not everyone in Britain is like you know straight white. Do not everyone wants to watch fucking EastEnders? So they have to have like BBC Asian networks mm-hmm. and they have BBC in Welsh in Gaelic and they have like special interest programming for all sorts. And they're obligated to put out. Um, uh, children's uh, entertainment, um, which is like you know non-judgmental and yep. educational in value, that sort of thing. No adverts because you're not allowed to have advertising. So it's meant to be like uh, politically impa- biased as well. Impartial. It has to do local news. And then on this fucking network, they have a man in yellow face, literally like moments away from saying "Ching Chong Chinaman." Yeah, and it's just like, yeah, that's great. That's funny. That's Put that out where children can see it. What? what? I like I like you. Um, when you know this all came, I think it came to like Netflix recently, like relatively I ha- recently. Yeah, I, I had to watch it because like, is it as bad as I remember it? And it's worse. It's way worse. And I watched this with my friend who is Asian, and her mouth was just agape. Yeah, like she was like, "When did this air?" And I went less than ten years ago, and she's like, "What?" On what channel went the BBC? When? At eight o'clock. And then, like, before she even opened her mouth, and I went, Matt Lucas and David Williams. And then she was about to speak, and I went, none of them um, none of them have apologised. Oh, sorry, one of them's apologised. The other one doesn't like talking about it. Yes, they still work. Yes, they're still on television. Both of them write children's books. <laughs> Just like, what? <laughs> How did this get on the air? I don't know. They I write children's know. books. And then they did a live show that was even worse. The, and I clarify, by the way, I think there was about um, eight episodes a season, and it went on for like three fucking seasons. And then after that aired, they made "Come Fly with Me," which has also been removed from streaming services, which is somehow even worse because there's a character on that, and his character can be summed up with he is a racist. That is his character. Like he's and the that's guy. Hilarious, right? Carl? Yeah, the guy at immigration. That, that could be good. Like you could like do that in a nuanced uh, way. Okay, like, you that, could that's, play, like, that's no. true. But we're talking about the people who just made Little Britain. Yeah, and in the same show where they have this guy, you think, oh, maybe they could have him like called out, and maybe you could highlight, you know, the hypocrisy of his racism, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And in the same show, they have the same guy who played Ting Tong um, play a black woman called Precious, oh. who's and her shtick is that she doesn't like working. And then she's lazy. So the joke about the black lady who is a, played by a white man in blackface is that she's lazy and doesn't like working. And this show won an award for best comedy. Oh. And it's just, oh, for fuck's sake. Uh, it's it, so fucking bad. It just baffles me. We've talked about, yeah, okay. It got written. It got through all these people. Like, once. Once would have been bad enough, but it went on for multiple seasons and into a different TV show. And won awards. And won awards. And, and, and was praised men- for it. 
and turn the two men who made it into household names who are millionaires who write children's books and appear on um, variety daytime TV. So another one that I didn't even know when all this started breaking up is Joe um, Ant and Det also did um, Yellowface. I was not aware of that. Huh? Joe Fight's Saturday Night Takeaway, where they'll sometimes dress like other people. So people we didn't swear with Americans, this show called Saturday Night Takeaway, with my aunt and deck. Two, mm-hmm. two household names in Britain, two like, light entertainment figures who are legendary. Uh, yeah, pos- they've possibly been like, in the presenting game for what, like 20, years, 20 to 30 years? Yeah, and they've been on television since they were about eight, nine years old. They are um, like national treasures, is like the status they've reached at this mm-hmm. point. And um, one of the, they have this show called Aunt and Deck Saturday Night Takeaway. And because they're so recognisable, um, one of the things they do is they'll dress up in costumes. They'll dress up like an old man. Sometimes they'll dress up like, old, like women, that sort of thing. And they did one episode where they dressed up like Asian schoolgirls. No. Complete with the tape around the eyes. Oh, and, no. And the accents. Oh, God. And it's just, oh, and these guys, again, are still way super famous. And, like, that's why it's the whole thing of, oh, man, you just try to cancel people. It's like, I could think of one person, one, one celebrity... Since all of this, like uh, the Me Too movement and all that kicked off, and that is Kevin Spacey. He is the only one. Uh, oh, God, I can't remember. Oh, uh, one person who I guess very categorically got cancelled is Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, so and both of and Kevin Spacey preyed on young underage men, and Harvey Weinstein was a horrible monster, and it took the entire entertainment industry rising up against him to get him. Yeah. With the exception of those two, uh, I can't think of a single person who's been like quote unquote cancelled and actually had it stick. You had Louis C.K., who you thought it'd stick, and is now still doing comedy shows. Did where he, he do joke- a comeback like two years later? Uh, yes. Something ve- like a lot quicker well, than you'd expect. I, I say quicker. I expected him to be like fucking running to the hills, but he. Came back at a rapid rate. He did, yes, two years. And if people wouldn't, like, don't remember, um, one of the things he was accused of doing, and admitted to, which is the funny thing, he admitted to doing it, mm-hmm. um, is he'd ask women, and again, ask is in big air quotes here, if they'd mind if he masturbated on them. And keep in mind, Louis C.K., world-famous comedian, and, yeah. the, and the implication there was he'll blackball them from their career, yeah. because that's what happened to other women who said no. Mm-hmm. So he's asking them, but really he's not. He's telling them. And his actual defence was, I always ask the women who I did this to whether or not they want it. It's like, no, you Again, didn't. Carl. You I, know what you did. I bring up, um, it's always sunny again, because that scene where the Dennis implication. is talking about, De- Dennis talks about the implication. And it's like, what do you mean the implication? Are you going to do something to them? It's like, no. no, I won't need to because of the implications. And it's like, oh, but, like, uh, what what are you going to do to them, Dennis? Nothing. Nothing. But they're stuck on a boat out in the middle of the ocean where no one can find them. So they know about the implications. Yeah. They're going to do whatever I want. It's, it's like, literally oh, that. Uh, if I, oh, yeah, so you're going to come into the bathroom with me, aren't you? Do you want to play on stage tonight, don't you? I'd love to play on stage. And you wouldn't want uh, to upset anyone in the industry, would you? Someone who holds your career in their hands. Mm-hmm. So you're going to come to the bathroom with me, aren't you? You're going to give permission to do this. Y- yes, I'm going to give... And that's how it does. And um, he had... I think he slunk away for a couple of years. Yeah. And then he came back and he did um, surprise shows where he talked about um, being accused of 
sexual harassment and turned it into a bit. So not only was he not cancelled, he used it for material and people laughed at it. I didn't know that. Yeah, he made it a joke. He made it a punchline. Holy shit. And um, what he did as well is um, he didn't actually announce these shows. He just turned up to um, random comedy clubs and just went on stage and did his bit anyway. And it's like, oh, it's really on brand for Louis C.K. Um, to force people to um, just li- listen to him for oh half an hour God. while he just shits all over the stage. It's like, you fucking prick. Yeah. And yeah, like, and, he's, and he admitted what he did as well. He fully said like all of the accusations when they came out. I went, yep, they're all true. And then came like, they're all true. I'm sorry. In two years, I'll come back and make jokes about it. And all the female comedians who blackballed don't work. Nope. Because they were blackballed from the industry because they're the reason that Louis C.K. can't perform anymore. And it's an old boys club where, I, oh, you, the big comedian, the big cheese, like the person we all like, he's not allowed anymore because of you. And this is what we mean when we were talking earlier about yeah, the people who were coming out normally suffer negative effects and that's why they should be praised for having the courage to come out and admit these things. Not get shat on by random people on the internet and get told they're lying. Yeah. But it's that thing of, um, I have, there's almost nobody who's claimed to have been cancelled has actually been cancelled. And even no. the people who have, like maybe it's a good thing that they're not allowed to just interact with people anymore or they're not in a position of power and authority. Because clearly they can't be trusted not to abuse it. Mm-hmm. And that's even... the thing is, um, the, the reason that myself and a lot of other people hate the word like cancel somebody is because it's as the internet likes to do is used in such an unnuanced way and it's as well it's completely not the case yeah it's, it's never the only people who's happened to have horrible violent sexual predators yep. it's like maybe they should be <laughs> you just think of oh you tr- like you tried to cancel someone all they did was say the n-word it's like well maybe you're someone who's like got that lack of judgment Shouldn't, shouldn't be, be to. in a position of authority and power and have the ability to influence others because clearly yeah. they cannot be trusted with it. Oh, dear. And then uh, you get the one of, oh, but I hope that you've never done anything wrong. Otherwise, you're going to get cancelled too. It's like it's not about not doing anything wrong. It's about understanding and growing as a person. That's and the difference. Like, is and there's a level see, of things that you can do. You see people where it's like, oh, well, you know, once I, you know, I don't know, told a, a friend that I was in love with her or whatever, it's like, I'll cancel that person. It's like, well, no. And I was just trying to make up something that was very innocuous. It's like, that is not on the same level as somebody who's been sexually harassing like people or being racist. It's like, there's complete grey areas. It's not black and white. Yeah, but it's easier to think of it as being black and white because then you don't really have to think about it too much. Yeah. Just thinking about it hurts a lot. And... um yeah, I, I've had like a minor version of this where it was uh, people brought up in like, my old articles. I used the word retarded. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's not a nice word to use. It's very ableist. And that's because I used to write for cracked. And it was one of the words that... Like, that word was used interchangeably. It was a synonym on that website for stupid. And I wrote, so I had to write in their house style. And it eventually became part of my vocabulary. Because I was like very in-depth and entrenched in that culture. And it informed my writing style and like, you know, the voice that I adopted as a writer for many years. Mm-hmm. And then one day I got a message from my dad who works with special needs children who'd read one of my articles thinking, oh, wow, my son wrote this. It's on the internet. Look at that. He's got his name right in the byline right there. Read it. 
and was so disappointed in me, he called me up and said, son, you don't need to use that kind of language. Yeah. I'm hurt, I'm hurt like you would knowing what I do. And I felt so bad that I realized like, yeah, and it's probably a bad thing that it took me, someone I personally know being hurt, for me to realize that my language could have that effect. But yeah, I was like, what, 19 years old at the time? Yeah, like I get what you mean, but at the same time, yeah, it's one of those things of you were not to know and other people the thing is, I was. around I you was. made it a normal thing to do, but... Yeah, but I did know better. I did know better. Yeah. I did know that I shouldn't okay. use that. But okay. it was something people... I'm not going to try and make the excuse, but... Yeah, it was the done thing at the time. And I thought it came back and thought, well, clearly everyone else is doing it, so it's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And it took me being personally confronted by someone who was impacted by it for me to realise that's an awful thing to do. And I've never done it since. And I've refused to use that word in anything I've written since. And that probably paints me in a negative light. And I've openly admitted when this has been brought up in the past on Twitter, if you think that's enough for you to not want to follow my content anymore, I understand. Mm-hmm. I've tried to be a better person. I've hoped from the way that I've like led my life online and how open and transparent I am in regards to all this sort of thing, that people would believe that I've grown, but I'd understand if they don't think that. Because, yeah, if this impacts you, I feel awful about that fact, and I'm all, but I'm not going to try and make you feel bad for feeling bad. Exactly, and I think it's like a lot better for people to stand there and own the mistakes and admit to it, rather than trying to you know, erase it from history and make yeah, people it, imagine it didn't happen. But it's not even about owning the mistake, it's about owning the consequences of that mistake. Yes, yeah, true. And that's what I've done. I've, I've openly said, if people don't like that I did that, I fully understand. And if you don't want to follow my content anymore, again, I understand. I'm not going to try and change your mind. All I'm going to do is just try and be a better person. And if you don't believe that I can be that better person, that's on you. Yeah, I, I understand that because if I am the exact same cynical way, if people have heard me talk like that for the last hour, yeah, like it, like extraordinary, like it requires extraordinary effort um, to undo something like that. Mm-hmm. For sure, which, um, which is why I've tried to do that in my day to day life, and the, I've used the platform that I've thankfully been able to grow to be very outspoken about I issues was like say, this. You have like talked about it in the past and owned up to it, move like not moved past it, but uh, learned from it. your mistakes and decided to do something about it and use your platform for positivity. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Well, no, Luke, I'm, I'm, Luke, I'm a toxic YouTuber. This is now. Oh, yeah, totally. I'm an awful toxic YouTuber. You know this, mate. Also super selfish. I am. a really selfish. Yeah, I've heard that one a lot. Yeah, I know. How's that, that goes? How's that? getting paid to podcast with you on a podcast you're not earning money on? No, no, I don't earn money for this podcast, but we started it again so you could um, uh, step away from your job in the real world because yeah, I want you to be able to enjoy um, the same uh, kind of freedom and uh, creative freedom that I do. So selfish, Carl. I am so selfish. I'm an awful person. <laughs> I don't let people comment on my videos. That means I'm awful. I miss the old fat fiend. Oh, Carl, did I tell you to bring the comments back? <laughs> <laughs> well, it gets me. I'm not, the thing is, I'm not a perfect person. I'm flawed and I'm a dick and I act like a twat sometimes. I think it's I'm more not... just, it's really annoying for you and I obviously see it behind the scenes and stuff a lot where it's like, oh man, like it, it's really like annoying to me. This is, you know, Carl speaking. Carl normally goes like, it's very annoying to me that I'm being called out specifically for being like a horrible person that doesn't think about others when all I'm trying to do is like give my friends a voice and like money 
<laughs> and some freedom, and it's like, oh god. Yeah, it's, um, it reminds me a lot of the old. Uh, there's an Onion article about it where um, it's somewhat applicable. It's police officer um, um, is planning on shooting unarmed minority to get outpouring of support from local community, and it's this satirical article written from the perspective of like a, an American police officer. Of, yeah, I've been a good cop for a lot of years, and I've served my community. But I just feel like uh, sometimes I want to shoot a minority so I get an outpouring of support from all of my friends and colleagues about how good a man I am. Oh, no. Joe's like, because that's what always happens when police officers shoot people. Yeah. He's always like, he's a really good officer. He's such a nice guy. He tries. He's done so much for his local community. And it's like, the officer's like, I might just shoot an unarmed minority so I get that because I kind of want it. And it's the same thing of sometimes I'll be sat there going, maybe... I should just say the N-word and then apologise for it so I get an outpouring of support for look how much he's grown. Because you get more support and you get more praise for doing something awful and then apologising for it than just not doing it in the first place. Oh, Carl, by the way, make sure to do it on Twitch so you get banned for a couple of weeks and then come, and then back. come back and get more views. I, I, I've said this to you, Lucas, of um, like, at what age did you realise it was bad to say the N-word? Before I can remember. There we go. And um, is there any point in your life when you thought like saying it was a... Uh, that recording yourself saying it and then uploading it to YouTube was a good idea? Uh, most definitely not. And the exactly. weird one that I see a lot of the time is, oh yeah, well, I was streaming and it was in the heat of the moment. <laughs> Which means that, that, that it's means part you of your... already say it in the heat of the moment. And it's something that's part of your ordinary vocabulary and the fact that it's a word that immediately springs to mind for you to mean bad. Yep. God damn it. It's just, it's the best. But then, like, you never say it. Or you never do anything about it. It's like, but if you did it, and then you apologise, then you get all that positive thing. And then as well, you have the automatic just shield of smarminess. Mm-hmm. With those, like, god-awful fans who every time someone brings up this legitimate, very valid criticism, of, they've already apologised. Because I don't care, because the nature of being an online creator means that you get new fans all the time. Yeah, yeah. And those new fans might be finding out about your horrible behaviour in the past. Mm-hmm. every single day. So the hurt to them is very real, and the betrayal to them is very real. And Which is why I, I say, like, you don't, again, don't, you can forgive, you can't forget. And as a creator, if you do something like that, and if you get pissed off and people keep bringing it up, imagine how annoying it is for your new fans to grow attached to your content, your personality, your, like you as a human, mm-hmm. and then find out you were a horrible shit in the past, and they've got to then try and find a way to um, like, you know, square those things in their mind. That's the thing is, I've had it in the past before where um, people that I've, like, you know, followed or, um, you know, admired have come out to, oh, they did this thing in the past or, oh, they did this thing right now. And I've gone, oh, I kind of like that person. It's a bit of a shame they turned out to be a complete fucking twat, but... I've had that a lot, you know. Yeah. um, With people, in regards to my content. Where, um, like, with all the Black Lives Matter stuff, and I just tweeted out, like, look, um, I run the channel. No one can tell me what to do. Uh, Black Lives Matter. If you don't like it, eat shit, die, don't watch my videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had people say it's really nice because there's so many creators I follow or I like who are um, either refusing to say anything or are trying to do, like, the whole both sides. Yeah, they yeah. don't want they don't want to upset the Apple cat. Like, this is not a situation where you can just be neutral. You like, I, We kind of need to know what your thoughts on this are. Because it's going to inform whether or not I respect you as a person. Not a creator, as a person. 
that's the difference because it's uh, similar to when we talked about J.K. Rowling. It's you can still like Harry Potter, but you you, you know I can't really deny that J.K. Rowling is a dickhead. No, she's awful, an awful human being. And yeah, sometimes, especially when I don't have to watch J.K. Rowling to enjoy Harry Potter, it's a bit easier to make that like destroy that bridge and disconnect yeah. the two from one another. But, but when, when it's, the person oh, who presents the content yeah, the is the prick who's on every video. <laughs> and there's a reason that um, uh, Lost Profits just died. Yeah, yeah, that's that was one that I. And if you're I not familiar with what that reference is, the Lost Profits were a Welsh band, is it? Uh, it might be from Wales, but they were maybe. a band quite popular in the UK. And it turns out that the lead singer, one Ian Watkins, was a huge, big pedophile or yep. paedophile, depending on what part of the world you live in. And not just a paedophile; he was like one. I think it was a hierarchy of paedophiles, and he was found in his illicit communications with a mother who was a fan of his work. So not only is he a pedophile, he's also abusing his like status and celebrity um, to try and get her to give him or her baby for reasons. Oh, wow. And you can probably guess what he was going to do with that baby. Yeah, he, he didn't, but that's one of the things he was planning to do using his status and his celebrity. And um, He was the lead singer of that band. And that band just fucking broke up. Yeah, it was just and dead. F- and made a new band because that is now that content is now poisoned. To the point where even now if someone puts on a Lost Profits song, I'll be like, turn it off. Yeah, because I can't listen to it because the lyrics are directly coming from like a fucking awful, abhorrent human being. Yeah. And it's the same thing I get with content creation. Where it's like uh, like the old Game Grumps videos. Like, oh, but like, people are going, oh man, but I like to go back and watch them because they're old videos. Like, but there's a racist in them. Why do you want to watch a racist? <laughs> it's is really obvious. funny. So there's so much other funny stuff out there that you don't there have is. you can pick and choose. You don't have to watch this. There is more content on YouTube than you will ever be able to get through. Why do you the, feel? Uh, that's the un, like well, not unfortunate thing, but that's that's one example again. Is I enjoyed Game Grumps and I watched John Tron's videos, and then the moment. I saw him tweet out all that racist stuff. It was like, nope, done, bye. Just think though now, if you knew all that about him and then still continue to work with him. Imagine now for a moment, Lucas, if you found out that I talked like that and that I I held those kind of views. And then imagine, like you'd think even just for the sake of protecting your own back, like Mm -hmm. like, the creative industry is so like selfish and we got to like always look after number one. Yeah. Your image is like the number one thing you need to protect. Even from the perspective of like to protect your, even if you don't care that he's saying talking like that, surely just to protect your own image, you just want to dif- like dis- like distance yourself from them. Yeah, even if it was the case of like, well, you know, it doesn't really bother me. I don't know why it wouldn't, but if that was the case, um, like yeah, even, even from a, if like, someone went, oh, Carl's a massive racist, and this guy worked with him, and like, you it. get impacted by that too, and it's like yeah. I don't get why in such a cynical money-driven industry that even the people like well I can look past that don't think that surely if you don't care about him being racist you care about your bottom line yeah and that makes me think that someone somewhere when it's any of these situations where it's someone being awful and racist that 
someone somewhere looked at the numbers and realised that being racist wasn't a bad thing and probably either made them more money or didn't impact their money at all so it wasn't something they needed to give a shit about. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly being racist is very much not something you can do to make profit and it's, it's actively harmful to your profits and the numbers are going down. And that's why people are um, suddenly saying, oh, I need to apologise. And that goes, we can end on this, it goes hand in hand with my theory that social progress in the future is not going to be driven by a genuine want, desire or need to make people feel more included and to make the world a more welcoming place. It will be driven purely by corporate cynicism. Because you'll notice that um, like Pride Month, uh, we're just getting right to the end of Pride Month right now as we record this. And Pride Month has been co-opted by almost every major business on the planet because they've realised um, that it's like the month of rainbow logos. Because they've realised that um, like previously it was like you know being a shit to gay people. That's that was fine. And then when gay people were like, "Nah, please don't do that." Stonewall rights, that's something. And like you know, being gay was somewhat more acceptable in society. It was more just don't say anything. Yeah, companies are very hands-off approach, and now. Not only is being gay completely acceptable to the vast majority of people, it is something you can actively profit from. And it's the same thing with Black Lives Matter, where that movement, like, it got very organically grassroots driven. But one of the reasons that it's had such staying power is because businesses realise that it is financially viable to co-opt this movement. And it is an easy way to score brownie points with prospective customers to actively embrace this. Whereas in the past, it would either be ignore it or actively work to, like, you know, placate racists. Yeah. As opposed to now, um, uh, like, you know, just telling them to go fuck themselves. And that's my theory that, you know, social change is going to be driven largely by corporate cynicism as more and more companies realise that um, uh, bigoted racist opinions aren't as profitable to support or tolerate as just saying we are for everybody. Oh, yeah, totally. And it's, and it's really sad things... to think, isn't it? Because you can see it. You just need to go look at any fucking um, corporate logo during Pride Month. Last thing is, we will, by the time this podcast has gone up, people can't probably go and check for themselves because the moment Pride Month is over, that 11 month gap where they don't need to care and talk about it anymore is over. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they, they have 11 months of, oh, we can put, put away the rainbow logo. And we cannot talk about pride and gay rights. And we'll only need to bring it out next June. And it's like, oh, God. And, yeah, it's just... It's awful and it's cynical, but... It's so awful. That level of just, like, um, social saturation in regards to just this message of positivity of, like, you know, gay people, you exist, you are acknowledged, and you are welcome... Yeah. ...is overall a good thing. Regards to the fact the reasons behind it are quite cynical in some ways. Yeah, totally. Because... Even if we're getting, like, you know, closer to equal rights via corporate cynicism and just people being money-oriented, at least we're getting there, I guess. Yeah, and I it's see better than it, nothing. I see it as a win that it is profitable to not be... It is profitable to say we support gay people and we support black rights than it is to be silent about those issues. Because that's what it was previously, where it was more profitable to just not say anything. Yeah. Because saying something might upset the racists. And the and it, and it clearly someone somewhere had done the numbers of if you upset racists and you get 
right-wing fucking nut jobs boycotting your products, it makes a noticeable dint in your profits. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, those numbers say, well, if you do get your angry Fox News types boycotting fucking Skittles or something like that, it's not going to make as much of an impact as putting the rainbow package in on it. Yeah, and it, the goodwill gained by people who like want that positive change is valuable is to a brand. More valuable than the like homophobes or racists that tell that company to fuck off. Yeah, and then you bring it out to YouTube, and it's like, uh, I guess it is a positive thing. That's again as cynical as it is. All these apologies that I'm gonna believe a couple of them at the very least are driven by a desire to not see their bottom line get impacted. Mm-hmm. That it's at the very least it's um like just now the in thing to apologize for being racist. Yeah. It's like at the very least, like it's better than having the video up, profiting from it, and then getting annoyed when people talk about it. Exactly. Yeah. Acknowledging it and apologize as however hollow that apology is, at least those words are out there, and at least that statement has been made mm-hmm. that this is not something that is acceptable. Or something that I it's like as, as hollow and cynical as the apology might be, like the overall um, uh, like message that it conveys is quite positive. The end of the day, a win's a win. <laughs> a win's a win. God, I didn't think you'd end this thing by um, quoting Vin Diesel, but there we are. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Fast and Furious line right there. Possibly oh, one of my favourite ones. Where it, yeah, it's a Fast and Furious one where it's like Vin Diesel, he's like over the line by like a quarter inch and Paul Walker's giving him shit. Like, what? We were so close. And just Vin Diesel goes, a win's a win. And Paul Walker's <laughs> like, I guess he, he's right. A yeah. win is a win. I guess I better shut up now. <laughs> he's like, a win's a fucking win. So yeah, gay people, marginalised people. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm really, really sorry that you've had such a rough fucking go of it and will presumably have a, a rough go of it for many years to come. But I hope you take some solace in the fact that um, your future and the acceptance of your, your you as people is going to be driven by Coca-Cola and other big companies going, it is profitable to acknowledge your existence. And that is the most dystopian, depressing shit to think. It kills me inside to it's, think that. It's so awful, but it's true. I'm so sorry to those people. Like, uh, at the very least, like, take solace in the fact that I acknowledge your existence and appreciate you for who you are. Not because it makes me money, but because it's the right fucking thing to do. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Oh, God. Awful. Anyway, Lucas, on that, on that note, is there anything you'd like to plug? Speaking of rainbows... <laughs> You've co-opted that rainbow logo, aren't you, for your channel, Luke? That's what it is. That's why you have bright colour there. It's oh, not because you shit. like it. I didn't think about that. No, no. So you could have done that for Pride Month. Like something I always get pissed off about is every Pride Month that we've had the channel, I always forget because we record so far in advance. Make the green screen a rainbow in the background, and never uh, talk yeah. about it just to piss off um, uh, um, homophobes. And to clarify, yeah, my. Um... My rainbow hair in my logo is because I change my hair colour maybe like monthly. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to pick one hair colour because it's always changing. Um, but yeah, I didn't think about that. Uh, but my channel with my year-long rainbow logo... Because it's always... It's Lucas always is always proud. Logo. We're always um, proud on Lucas's channel. Yeah. 
It's uh, Legend of Kanto on. I didn't realize, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that would make you as uncomfortable. I was like, it was a joke. It was it was a joke, but at the same I think time, it, it's it like, you. oh yeah, corporate cynicism. Anyway, go watch my things. <laughs> hey, hey man, no one's gonna blame you for like using the platform that you have to try and like you know, get ahead. Yeah, and uh, that's the thing is, again, it's like I'm on YouTube, on Twitch, just doing gaming stuff. Legend of Canto. Links below. Links below. Go watch it. Uh, have a lovely you day. Know, me and Carl play games. Me and Carl stream. We have fun. Yeah. Go do it, I guess. Bye, Hope guys. Cynicism. Woo. Yeah.